listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast number 82. It is Monday, May 17, 2021, and after offering the astrology of the Derek Chauvin verdict, we now present the astrology of transiting Neptune, the real planet chaos, and the new far distant planets in your horoscope, part one. This new podcast series contains the charts for the discoveries of Uranus, Neptune, Sedna, and Chaos, the U.S. chart from July 4th, 1776, the horoscope of European civilization, the horoscope of the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand on June 28th, 1914, that ignited World War I, the chart of the first successful oil well, and its drilling in the United States on August 27, 1859, the charts of Adolf Hitler, the Third Reich, and the start of World War II, and the cover image of our Welcome to Planet Earth astrology magazine from May-June 1993, 28 years ago, entitled Timeline to War, Is History Repeating Itself? Overall, this is the 82nd podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. Okay, having said all of that, and mentioning Welcome to Planet Earth, I will read from our Welcome to Planet Earth uh, in about an hour. And I'm going to read this story from 28 years ago. Now, we have uh, these different files uh, on our website at www.greatbearenterprises.com. I should say folders. They're in the section of Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope, which that's what this is. And you'll see a cover image from our magazine. It's entitled Timeline to War, Is History Repeating Itself? You'll see a picture of the Titanic with dates April 14 to 15, 1912. And then under that, Balkan War 1912-1913, World War I, 1914. You'll see how I coordinate the, the sinking of the Titanic in 1912 with the World War I beginning two years later. And then you'll see a picture of the Hindenburg exploding on May 6, 1937. You'll then see um, the War of the Worlds broadcast image for October 30th of 1938. And then below that, you'll see a tab saying World War II, 1939. There's a correlation there. And I'll explain that when I read the story. And then you'll see February 26, April 19, 1993, the Trade Center bombing. Not the one on, in 2001, because we weren't at that point. This is from Gemini of 1993. Remember, there was a first Trade Center bombing in the basement of the, the World Trade Center. February 26 to April 19, 1993, that Trade Center bombing. And the Waco apocalypse, which was happening at the very end, on that April 19, 1993, and then relating that to the Balkan War that was happening at that time, and then with three large question marks, with the concept of, is history repeating itself? Now, a few podcasts ago also, I explained and I had written in Welcome to Planet Earth in the 1990s my discovery that Jupiter 
even though we say in astrology Jupiter is a 12-year cycle, it doesn't. It's, it's less than 12 years. And what I discovered, and if you go back several podcasts ago, uh, I wrote this whole article about Jupiter's 83-year cycle. So instead of, if you take 12 years of what is considered the average Jupiter cycle and multiply it by 7, you would assume that 80, every 84 years, um, Jupiter will have gone around 7 times. 7 times 12 is 84. But it turns out that the exact cycle of Jupiter is less than 12. And when, when you multiply that number times 7, you get 83 rather than 84. And so this idea of his history repeating itself several podcasts ago, I, I read that whole story. And the point is, is that if you add on 83 years from 1938 to now, that's an 83-year cycle. So basically, Jupiter in the sky every day this year is in a sense tracking day by day, week by week, month by month, where it was in 1938, because the difference is 83 years. And what I shared in that particular podcast is the rather alarming concept that 1939 and 2022 are related. They're related because Jupiter doesn't have 84 years, uh, 12 times seven, uh, seven cycles of Jupiter. It returns exactly every 83 years. So when we hit 2022 on January 1 and then January 2, including September 1 of 2022, Jupiter is gonna be back to where it was when Adolf Hitler launched World War II on September 1 of 1939. All the significant dates of 1939, and there are so many of them regarding the prelude to World War II and the start on September 1, 1939 and the aftermath, all these different battles, all these different procedures and so on. Uh, Jupiter will be exactly where it was in 1939 next year. Now, when I say it's going to be back there. I'm not saying we're going to have a repeat of World War II. Okay, we don't get exact cycles. And there can be fortuitous things happen when we talk about Jupiter cycles because Jupiter traditionally, not always, but traditionally represents providence, things that are benevolent, the power of positive thinking, things that are usually fortunate, but not always because people can overdo this particular principle and we get pride, we get arrogance, we, do, we get overdoing a good thing. Now, I just wanted to give you that little example because we're going to be doing some, some analogies and metaphors here in this particular um, introduction to this series. So again, I was going to overload you with like three plus hours. We're not going to do this because part of um, what we're dealing with here is this planet chaos. It's a real planet, and I'm going to explain more about it, as well as some of these other outer planets that have been discovered over the last 20 plus years. And this is an introduction. So, uh, but let me get back to the beginning here. It's almost exactly now 40 years in the next month since I began Welcome to Planet Earth. It was a staple together newsletter. Then about a year and a half later, it became a newspaper. And then it, about five plus years later, it became a magazine. And it went on for 20 plus years on Monday and what we call Earth Astrology. Dozens of fantastic astrologers from around the world contributing and we had this great run in the 80s and, and 90s. At the core, at the center, from the very beginning, starting in the Staple Together newsletter, and then in the newspaper, and then in the magazine format, we had the Astrology Cosmic Calendar. And now, 40 years later, 
thanks to my daughter, Katya, who was born at that time and who has been running so much of my website, she, with a group of uh, team members, particularly from India and other places, have been able to create an app. So we've had the Cosmic Calendar on my various websites, including uh, www.greatbearenterprises.com, and now it's also an app for iOS and Android. Now, here's the important thing I wanted to share. Um, it's free one day at a time. Now, if you go to wherever you get your apps for iOS or Android, you can download it. Again, three words, Astrology Cosmic Calendar, calendar with a K. And the logo, you'll see a bear, you'll see the seven stars of the great bear, you'll see a full moon. That's, that's the way you know that's what it is. So it's free one day at a time, but it was never intended that the Astrology Cosmic Calendar, which allows you to see both positive and negative, opportunity and challenging alignments from one day to another, weeks into the future and so on. It was never intended for a one day at a time thing where you just get a slice of life of what's happening in the heavens. New moons, full moons, eclipses. We have the the four main asteroids in their series, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. We have Chiron. We have the nodes of the moon, retrograde planets, stationary planets, um, the beginning of, of seasons, equinoxes, solstices, we have uh, eclipses, all kinds of things. So everything you really want to know on a day-to-day -day level, written in a wonderful uh, story, user-friendly uh, scenario, and I've been doing this for 40 years. So what happened was when people were subscribing to Welcome to Planet Earth in the beginning and they were receiving it as a printed newsletter, uh, newspaper, magazine, they'd get the whole month. Okay, so it began pretty much in the summer of, of 1981, and the people who got the first edition, it would arrive and be able to look four weeks into the future. And then when the next uh, edition came out, they'd have another cosmic calendar, so they were always looking at four weeks in the future. Now, you can subscribe or become a member, which allows you to go several weeks into the future. Right now, for instance, I'm doing this particular podcast on May the 17th, 2021. Well, anyone who's an actual subscriber, not getting it for free, but actually subscribing for pennies a day, it's not very expensive. There's three different rates. You can you can do it for $5.99 for a month, and that renews on a credit card every month. You can do it for $29.99 for six months, and it renews six months later on that card. Or you could do one year, $49.99, and then it renews on your card um, a year later. And by the way, right now, for anyone who does one year, which is, we used to do this for $85 for a subscription for a year. Now it's $49.99 because we have a wider audience around the world and we're lowering the price. Anyone would get um, what is called the complimentary AstroTalk report sent to you by attachment to email if you do our one year subscription. Uh, I'll explain why this is kind of important about the significance of the Cosmic Calendar. Also, one of the podcasts I did a while back was why the Cosmic Calendar, which I'm talking about now, is significant and why everyone needs to use it. So the point is, is that if you are able to be a subscriber right now and you do a year, you're going to be able to get a report on your, on your chart. Uh, about your planets, your sun, your moon, your various planets in your houses, the alignments in your chart. It's sent as an attachment to email. All you have to do after you subscribe, I will wind up sending you an email thanking you, and then I will ask you for your month, day, year of birth. 
your time of birth, as close as you have to exactitude, and your city, state, and country of birth. And then you'll get one of these complimentary reports, which I think we normally sell for about $30. That's complimentary. So why am I trying to promote uh, the Cosmic Calendar in this fashion? It's because in this day and age, when I started all this, and there's a, a recent podcast I did, my 47 years as a psychic astrologer, when I started in 1972-73, and that was seven to eight years before I began publishing Welcome to Planet Earth, what was happening was there was no software. You couldn't just do a chart now with all these software programs in astrology as everything has evolved. You, you couldn't just do it. It would take at least me or any professional a couple of hours to actually draw up a chart. And we were working with what's called an ephemeris that had a book of all the planetary information and um, a table of houses. We'd have to do logarithms and different kinds of things and make sure that we knew exactly where the sun was and the moon and the rising sign and all the different planets and then painstakingly put them into certain houses and draw the symbols of the zodiac and different lines or what we call aspects planets that are opposite each other 180 degrees apart or trine in a triangular relationship of 120 degrees sextiles of 60 degrees and so on with different maybe colored pencils or colored pens and then explain this to to the person who is getting the reading and so this at least for me to do it really carefully that would take several hours and during those couple of hours is when you'd be studying the client's chart and really thinking about the profundity of their birth I am a per, I'm a believer that we're all souls and spirits and we are coming into the earth plane with a life purpose and hopefully trying to achieve that and that's what the birth chart is attempting to show us a kind of spiritual uh, kind of a spiritual genetic roadmap of how we can accomplish our life mission to the best of our abilities now most of us or many of us who get our astrology charts done or learn astrology we then know that there are systems called transits and progressions to our charts transits are wherever the planets are today tomorrow next week and an astrologer if you have done that for yourself or if you've gone to an astrologer or um, I have five different consultations you can do that with me if you've never had a reading done in our astrology shop at Great Bear Enterprises in the telephone consultation area and there are particular ones where I will be doing transits and progressions transits are where the planets are at any given point so that we can share more about what are your cycles recently or now in the near future what are your opportunities and challenges based on where the different planets are moving Venus Mars Mercury Jupiter Saturn Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. But then there's another system called progressions, which is a slow, gradual unfoldment of who you are going back to the year of your birth in the days, weeks, and months after that. They're not transits from this year or this time period. They go back in time, and it may seem, well, why would progressions be significant from the year of my birth? And that's a whole other way of looking at charts, but it works with great exactitude. And there are different systems. So in our report section, our astrology report section, um, where if you order in our, our reports, and we've got some specials going on now in the astrology report area, you would wind up getting that as an attachment to email, okay, rather than with consultations, it takes a week or so before I set up the appointments. And with, with consultations, of course, that's more painstaking, more time. What I'm saying, though, is within our report here, and there are 15 different kinds of reports, you'll see we have samples you can look at. Skylog is a fantastic uh, design uh, report on both your transits and progressions designed by Stephen Forrest, a great astrologer in his own right. 
We've got other ones, Timeline, also transits and progressions with a different style designed by Michael Erlewine. And Michael Erlewine is the person who all our reports, almost all of them except for numerology, have been uh, created by software through Michael Erlewine's uh, matrix software. So we have all of these computerized reports, but which can give you a tremendous understanding about transits, progressions, your natal chart, and so on. The reason I bring this up is what people often don't understand is if, if I have my natal chart and I, I've studied my transits, well, then you can make a decision because getting a progressed reading often is a second reading because it's a deeper kind of a reading. And we have a lot of reports on that. The first 17 podcasts that I, that I did starting two years ago, May of 2019, were all about the secondary progressed United States sun from July 4th, 1776, when our country was born, and the, and the Pallas Athena secondary progressed position coming into this rare conjunction in the middle of Pisces. And this was the time of the Mueller report when the first impeachment of Pres former President Trump was underway and so many other things were happening in the country, having to do with Pallas Athena themes of justice and fairness and under the law and uh, knowledge and wisdom gathering and strategizing and problem solving and so many other amazing themes that are connected to Pallas Athena. So we started with from the mundane or earth astrology, which is one of the main hats I've been wearing for 40 plus years in astrology and which Welcome to Planet Earth was based on, not just myself, but all these different wonderful authors writing about world leaders and major planetary alignments and total eclipses and all the things that we are we study as part of what we call mundane or earth astrology. That's the big macro picture to the earth, the different nations of the world, our leaders, long-term cycles and all kinds of things. And of course, the other thing that I've done thousands of, of readings on in my life are personal readings. But the thing is, is that somehow a lot of people don't get, well, why would I need to know what's happening in the sky like a week from now, three days from now, two weeks from now? Why is that so important? And so what I try and share, and I've shared this before in that particular podcast, um, The Cosmic Calendar and Why You Need It, is each one of us, your horoscope, your loved one's horoscopes, of your relatives, of your friends, business partners, associates, and so on, each one of us is a cosmic calendar in that place in that time of sun, moon, and various planets frozen in time, but it was the cosmic calendar, the cycles in heavens at that day, at that time. If we don't resonate with, if we don't study the cosmic calendar in addition to our natal chart, our transits and progressions, we missed, we missed gigantic levels of how the universe as above, so below is affecting us and how we can take advantage of the positive cycles and avoid the challenges, things like void moons or squares between Mars and Saturn, or again, something I'll be talking about on Coast to Coast uh, Radio. I've been on there, fortunate enough, with George Nuri uh, since 2004, about to be on again uh, if you become what's called a Coast Insider, and I'm not promoting that you have to do that, but in order to get their podcasts of not just myself for the last five years, but of all their other wonderful guests on there having to do with UFOs, ETs, international relations, ancient um, civilizations, and the list goes on. Um, I just happen to be sharing mostly about astrology, whether it's about economics and astrology, or recently I did some podcasts about Tesla and Bitcoin. 
I also did a, a podcast 80 about Neptune transits from 2021 to 2026. And if you haven't listened to that one, you should definitely listen to it because this is also about Neptune transits, but that's kind of the granddaddy one. That was two podcasts ago. You definitely want to uh, listen to um, the, the astrology. I think it's called the Soul Awakening Astrology of Neptune transits 2021-2026. And there's a whole bunch of charts in there, again, with the folder, which you can only see these charts at Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope on our website. Okay, so I've given you, it's not just a pitch. I don't like to do marketing. Uh, I've never liked to do it. My sun sign is Pisces, for whatever reason, both in Welcome to Planet Earth over the years. I've always given discounts, even for advertisers and so on. It's marketing and advertising is not something I enjoy doing. I'm here in my work over almost 50 years to educate people about how astrology really works. I've talked a lot about um retrograding planets they're not negative a lot of people think they are particularly because of mercury doing it three times a year you should listen to my podcast 25 the truth about mercury retrograde where i talk about the united states born july 4th 1776 mercury's retrograde that mercury retrograde is not bad it's not negative and despite the fact that mercury does this retrogradation dance three times a year that's why people think it's so negative but how many people that you know of into astrology will say something like, oh my God, Saturn's retrograde for the next five months. What am I going to do? And all kinds of Saturnian things are suddenly going to go kafui. They don't. Uh, you get the same negative Saturn things when it's going direct as you, as you do when it's going retrograde. It's just that we now have what we call a thought form. People have now become almost, and this is part of the shadow of Neptune, one of Neptune's shadowy forces, Neptune has some, some amazing energies of compassion and love and devotion and universal love, psychic sensitivity, creative imagination. But as we'll share, when Neptune gets negative or difficult, we get nebulosity, we get chaos, we get confusion. And that's why I'm bringing into the picture this time and in the future an actual planet, which was discovered November 19th of 1998. It's called chaos. I'm going to get into that in a moment, and we will share a lot more about next time. So it's it's fascinating. And one thing I will say right off the bat, and I've shared this before, I think it was in that podcast 80 and maybe even an earlier one, and I did some of this work last year. When I redid America's birth chart for July 4th, 1776, and I started adding these outer planets, including this little planet called chaos, lo and behold, chaos is sitting right with Neptune at the very top of America's birth chart. And this is going to be significant of where we're going. What's interesting about this to me is that chaos is one of the negative uh, qualities or themes when Neptune isn't functioning well or it's m malfunctioning or because it's a mass influence and Neptune has a 165-year cycle and it's difficult even on our own charts or whether on the world stage for us to handle Neptunian energies well. So I, I've shared about this before. Certain planetary energies, particularly Neptune, Pluto, and a lot of these planets I'll introduce uh, tonight, Sedna, Eris, I've shared about them before. I've often given out more information about them. We also have in our um, complimentary section at Great Bear Enterprises our global hotspots, which I write every two weeks about the new moon, full moon, eclipses. And often I'm sharing about where is Eris or where is Sedna in America's uh, birth, uh, not, not America's birth chart so much, but at the new moon, full moon calculated for Washington, D.C. So I'll cover Chiron, Eris, Sedna. And 
sometimes in the future I will be covering chaos or some of these other planets because I can now include them in charts. And by the way, if you get a consultation, just so you know, from one of my uh, four main consultations, not so much the, the new one I'm doing, which is a, a recording, which is $99, I've added that. But if you order the 45-minute session, the one-hour session, a 90-minute session, which gives you uh, an opportunity for us to have a telephone consultation, and I send complimentary charts before we do that, and then that's recorded, I will also include one, at least one copy of where most of these outer planets are at your birth. So you can start thinking about their impact. These are slow-moving planets, either uh, 240-plus years away like Pluto or beyond, 300 years, 500 years. In the case of Sedna, Sedna has an orbit of 11,800 years, which is extraordinary. Eris has an orbit around 566 years and so on. So we'll share more about that in this in this. Uh, podcast, but more in the next one and the one after that if we do a third one. So I wanted to just remind you at the very beginning, it's 40 years since uh, Welcome to Planet Earth began. It's 40 years since the Cosmic Calendar began. We now have an app and you can and should get it for free. So you can at least have one day at a time, but that was never the intention of the Cosmic Calendar. The whole idea of the Cosmic Calendar from the get-go 40 years ago was to give every subscriber to the actual newsletter, newspaper, or magazine of Welcome to Planet Earth a full month. So you could look in the future, you could plan things, you could see what the alignments were going to be, the challenges and opportunities, squares, oppositions, conjunctions, trines of different planets. And this is one of the teaching methods that would that were was helping people during those 20 years. And now we have that as an app. So while a lot of people, it's great to get something for free and go one day at a time, you're missing an enormous amount of opportunity if you don't subscribe, because that lets you see, well, what's over the horizon tomorrow? I don't want to just see what's happening today. Today is, is Monday, May 17th. Wouldn't you want to know what's happening on next weekend, uh, particularly because Saturn is not is going to be making a station on May 23rd, next Sunday. But if you don't have a subscription, you don't know that that's necessarily happening. Now, you might have other places you could go to find out about that. But if you're going to get into the Cosmic Calendar and you have it as a user-friendly guide with all the different things that are in there one day at a time, for a small amount of money, it gives you an enormous other resonance to what is happening in the sky. So just don't forget what's happening in the sky every day is not just a sky thing. It's who you really are. Your own birth chart was the cosmic calendar for your place and time at that moment. And each one of us is a walking, breathing, evolving cosmic calendar. So if we don't use the cosmic calendar and we don't think about it over a course of a week, several weeks or a month into the future, then we're missing this enormous dynamic. Okay, so again, in maybe 45 minutes, because I want to just keep introducing stuff here for a little while, I will then read Timeline to War. Is history repeating itself? Because to me, what, I've studied so many of these long cycles. In the, in the self-published book, Mis, uh, Mysteries of Venus, by the way, in the app, there's a section called um, Astrology in Five. Instead of doing these longer podcasts, I limit myself to five minutes at a time. And I've been reading, I think we've done 29 or almost 30 of Astrology in Fives. That's available in the Astrology Cosmic Calendar. And I'm reading from the self-published book, Mysteries of Venus. 
And so that's one way to sort of catch the wave of things um, that are smaller. And that's another good example of, of a way to sort of understand what is going on there. So, um, and what I want to say there is what's happening really is what is history? History is repeating cycles. In, in Mysteries of Venus, I share about a magical kind of five-pointed star. It's actually a double five-pointed star that Venus and the Earth and the Sun make because of Venus's unusual um, orbit. So that's one of the things that I learned in studying Rudolf Steiner and studying um, all kinds of um, teachers and guides who I've worked with. And look, I look at a lot of long-term cycles, and I did that a lot with Welcome to Planet Earth. So did some of these other astrologers. In other words, there's a chart for the beginning of the Crusades, the first crusade. There were, I think, seven crusades. But astrology is really the beginning, just like your birth chart is, is your first breath in your life. Um, the birth chart for the start of a business or the inauguration of a president uh, or the, the first time you go, uh, go to, on a trip to Hawaii or wherever you're going for the first time and then you land there and you could do a chart for that moment. So astrology is, the, is really the, the art, the oracle, even now the burgeoning science of the art of beginnings, the birth of anything, the first breath, just like the United States being born uh, July 4th, 1776, in its revolution against Mother England, things like that. So um, I, I and many of the other astrologers uh, through the pages of Welcome to Planet Earth have been talking about long-term cycles. In that Mysteries of Venus, I actually produce a chart potentially for the birth of Jesus from one of the researchers. It goes back to the time period of 7 BC, and it's not necessarily on Christmas Day, and it's really fascinating uh, at some point, I will do a, um, a uh, astrology in five uh, reporting about that particular chart. You'll find it fascinating. So we can go way back in time, and, and that's what so many of us of our astrologers have done, and also into the future. Um, for instance, uh, it turns out that when chaos, this little planet, I'll report more about it in a moment, was discovered November 19th, 1998, that was one of the fascinating things about that was several podcasts ago, I actually read from um, the, the cover story, Dawning of Age of Aquarius Takes 90 Plus Years, from 22 plus years ago, October, November, December, 1998 edition of Welcome to Planet Earth, on the cover, a beautiful, um, wa uh, the, the wavy lines of Aquarius in rainbow colors, and I tried to explain that it would take about 90 plus years from the 1990s all the way to around 2080s for these various conjunctions of planets and movements of planets like Uranus, Pluto, Neptune, Chiron, different conjunctions, to just get the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And 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 I also put the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that we just had in Aquarius on December 21 of 2020. That chart was in Welcome to Planet Earth, and I wrote about that chart that we just have now experienced. So we'll get into that in a moment. But the point was that 22 years ago, I was already talking about this Jupiter-Saturn cycle in Aquarius that is launching 180 years approximately of Jupiter-Saturn in air signs, whereas starting in 1841 and then 1861 and so on for 20 years at a time, we are coming out of the Jupiter-Saturn uh, conjunction cycles in earth signs. I've shared about this many times before in the other podcasts. This is part of the reason we're now having things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and this whole bubble that's happening because the two largest planets which have to do so much with the business world and monumental large things and large uh, changes in cultures and how 
uh, finance and business uh, move around the planet, these two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, have just converged in Aquarius. And then what's going to happen is then 20 years from now, they will uh, converge again in uh, in Libra, and then they'll be in, in Gemini, and then they'll be in Aquarius again uh, eight, 60 years from now. So going into the 22nd century, every 20 years, we now have this new dispensation, the whole cycle, as I've shared before, of the, the grander cycle of Jupiter-Saturn going through the four elements, fire, earth, air, water, it takes 794 years, winds up being 180 to 200 years in each element. So again, um, I will probably share this more in part two and so on. But the reason why we're having things with the issues of the pandemic and we're having things with cryptocurrencies and all of this stuff about real news and fake news and the profusion of stories throughout 24-7 news media ever since the start of CNN, which is also about 40 years ago, somewhere 1980-81, uh, the beginning of, of this colossal kind of thing where all of us, our brain cells are being overlo overloaded with all kinds of news and music and information. And now so many things that aren't necessarily true and, and we don't necessarily know what is real versus not because there's so many um, bad actors out there who are trying to pull the wool over our eyes. And as we'll see in a moment, when Neptune becomes incredibly strong as it is particularly for the United States because it's now opposing um, our natal Neptune and that hasn't happened for 165 years. So I'm gonna get into the dates of that. Again, the big uh, podcast I did, uh, Podcast 80 on Neptune transits 2021, 2026, you'll wanna go back to that for sure because I give dates in there about what I'm about to talk about again. Okay, so uh, by the way, uh, I'm gonna, I just wanna mention something here because otherwise I'm gonna forget. I've been waiting for this story to come out um, on Coast to Coast when I was on last, which was March 11th. And just before that, I did a podcast about um, Elon Musk and Tesla Motors uh, and, and Bitcoin and all of that. And that was just after he uh, Tesla and Elon Musk decided oh, we're going to accept Bitcoin. Um, and they invested in Bitcoin. They, they put out through Tesla Motors and SEC um, um, information that they were going to be getting involved or investing in Bitcoin, quite a bit of money. And this is what, in, in a sense, really uh, enlarged the bubble that we've had the last couple of months. Elon Musk, him getting involved with Bitcoin, and then saying that you could even buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, at least that was a potential plan. And then Bitcoin and so many of these other cryptocurrencies, this wasn't the only reason, but part of it was like suddenly soaring. Well, if this guy at that point was the richest man in the world, I mean, him and Jeff Bezos have been going back and forth. Um, so again, that podcast, I believe was podcast 76. And you'll see everything I shared about Elon Musk, Tesla Motors and Bitcoin in that one. And then there was another one, Podcast 79, where I explored other kinds of things relating to cryptocurrencies. So for, for those back, that background, you want to go there. But I've been waiting for this story to come out because I also, on Coast to Coast the last time, brought up the Carrington event, September 1 of 1859, which was um, a reporting from two English um, astronomers of what turned out to be a coronal mass ejection. Uh, hitting the earth, which then caused telegraph lines and other kinds of things. In those days, we didn't have radio, television, or any of those things, but the telegraph had been invented 1844. And so September 1 of 1859, then a cor this coronal mass ejection uh, came and started hitting the earth with all kinds of 
uh, solar particles and things creating auroras, but also a lot of disturbances. Well, the reason I wanted to share about this is with all this kumbaya about, oh, blockchain technology and Bitcoin, it's going to go to a million dollars and it's, it's anonymous and it's this whole other technology and therefore uh, the federal government and banks don't ha have to know anything about it and it's going to eventually topple the whole banking system. You know, gold has never returned to the $2,000 an ounce that it had so many years ago. Silver a number of years ago reached about 47. And even though some of the experts like Howard Ruff and others had always been saying, well, silver is definitely going to go to 80. There were all these people who were saying gold was going to go to $5,000 an ounce. This is before uh, Bitcoin came into being and these cryptocurrencies developed over the last 12 years. And, and Bitcoin is in a Jupiter cycle of approximately 12 years, which is part of the reason that Elon Musk came along and through Tesla and um, his his uh, connecting with the SEC and saying, hey, you know, we're in we're, we're getting into Bitcoin and and then telling people um, that if you wanted to buy a Tesla, we're thinking about doing that. Well, he was just on Saturday Night Live and then he decided in the last week or so, even though what I'm about to say is not necessarily an absolute reason for um, for why he said it, he started saying, well, the carbon imprint, the fact that it takes so much electricity to run these mammoth computers and a lot of these computers are situated in China and they're using coal and therefore it's creating pollution. And then other people recently um, are trying to counter that and saying, well, you know, at gold mines and other things, uh, other places, we don't always hear about uh, the carbon imprint from that, all the kind of technology that spews different uh, CO2 into the atmosphere and global warming and so on. Nevertheless, just in the last week since Elon Musk was on, uh, on Saturday Night Live, and, and then he came out a couple of days later, this is only in the past week. By the way, this is all happening while Neptune has started to oppose the United States Neptune, and that started on May 1. I'm going to give those dates again. This hasn't happened for 165 years. So when you listen to my, my information about Neptune in Podcast 80 and go through that uh, you realize the power of Neptune when it's challenging, particularly for a country like the United States now going through Neptune opposite Neptune, the shadow side, and again, as I said, Neptune has superlative energies when it's working well, but it's a mass influence, and it is a mass influence that is also related to money. Uh, most astrologers do connect Neptune to being a higher octave to Venus, and Venus is the traditional planet that rules Taurus, which is the first earth sign, which has a lot to do with personal finance and money and how we work with money and the value of money and things like that. And Neptune, once it was discovered September 23rd, 1846, and we understood what it was all about, things that happened right after that, Communist Manifesto, the Gold Rush, so many other things, communes happening, uh, socialist revolutions, particularly in Europe in 1848, and a whole slew of other things relating to psychic sensitivity and all kinds of other things. I mean, there's a whole world of energies regarding Neptune, particularly connected also as well to oil. And at some point here, unless I forget, I want to talk about um, the ransomware attack um, with Colonial Colonial Pipeline, which actually happened a week ago, or I think it was May 7th, and the moon was had just conjuncted Neptune in the sky. And this was only a few days after Neptune started opposing the United States Neptune. And in the US birth chart, Neptune is overhead and, and fundamentally, the pipeline, which begins in Houston and then goes up through the southeast and up the eastern corridor, 5,000 some odd miles, 
carrying all kinds of fuel. Suddenly, all kinds of panic was ha was happening when, when people heard about it. They were stockpiling fuel, going to gas stations. And of course, there's now, um, after the ransomware attack by this group called Dark Side, and now our President Biden has put out an executive order, and there are some people who are thinking that either they're taking them down, or maybe that's fake news coming out because they don't want to be taken down. They're a group that operates within the borders or area around Russia, even if it's not a Putin-directed organization. They seem to be able to doing all kinds of things, and they have done uh, ransomware attacks with other organizations and, and, and nation states as well. So this is a phenomenally critical thing. If You may remember the solar winds uh, hacking in Texas um, through the Russians last year, and then now we don't hear very much about it, but that affected Homeland Security, affected the Treasury Department and other parts of our government, and then suddenly now we get almost no report. So th this has also been a part of this Neptunian wave of energy. That's not the only planet that's part of this, as I'm saying. There's chaos, this outer planet, another outer planet, Sedna, so important with so many things, Eris, another one, and a bunch of others. And many astrologers are now providing information. I'm not the only one. So there are many other people that if you go around, you will find Google, Safari, online, whatever, different astrologers working different angles on all of these. Uh, my associate Zane Stein, who used to write uh, for Welcome to Planet Earth, and he has written several books on Chiron. And um, for instance, he's been sharing so much about not just Chiron, but Shariklo and Pholos and Nessus, these different what are called centaur bodies, like Chiron, who's the, who's the half human, half horse. He's not the only centaur body, although he's the most important or at least the most popular since its discovery November 1, 1977. My point is that so many astrologers are now incorporating centaur bodies and beyond Eleanor Bach's first four asteroids, when the first asteroid ephemeris came out in 1973, and she was my main female teacher in New York City, I've shared so much about her, that's when we first had Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta to actually use in charts. And those asteroids were discovered from 1801 to 1807. And when they were discovered, the discoverers actually considered that they were regular planets until Sir William Herschel, who had discovered Uranus, March 13, 1781, when he saw these discoveries and then it was realized through telescope that they were smaller than planets like Uranus and Jupiter and Saturn and so on, they were then considered to be star-like or planet-like and they were relegated more to being less significant and they were called asteroids meaning really star-like bodies. And that was partly the influence of Sir William Herschel himself. That's another whole story we'll get into because I've studied particularly the chart of the discovery of Uranus on March 13, 1781. I've been doing that for 40 plus years. So um, we will take a look at that discovery chart again. For instance, Israel, the whole issue right now with Israel and uh, the Palestinians and the Gaza Strip. There's a chart for Israel. We know it exactly from May 14, 1948. And by the way, when, when Israel came into being, part of the difficulty of all these different wars and the recent outbreak is that the Uranus position in the chart for Israel is exactly where Uranus was when that planet was discovered. So it's two cycles of 84. It's actually uh, Uranus as a cycle. We say it's 84 years. It's another one. It's 83 and three quarter years. And when you add uh, those number of years, which is what, um, well, I don't want to make a mistake here, 167 or 167 plus years 
to the discovery of Uranus in uh, 1781, you get 1948. So two cycles of Uranus. Uh, Uranus was discovered um, in Gemini when, when it was in Gemini, 24 degrees. And when you look at Israel's chart, it's right at the same spot. And Uranus is a planet of intuition and the higher mind and seeing the future ahead of time and breakthroughs in higher consciousness, but it's also anxiety and breakdowns and um, expecting the unexpected and things coming out of left field and shocks and explosive-like situations. So this is part of the problem because uh, no matter what we might think of Israel and the Jewish homeland and other things, there is a uh, electrical, um, unconventional, shocking, surprising, jack-in-the-box, outside-the-box vibration when anything happens between Israel and her neighbors and what's happening in the Middle East. And that's what's happening now. And Israel just had its birthday. And so I just did then looked at the natal chart, the transits, the progressions, the most recent uh, new moon that just happened at 21 degrees of Taurus, the new moon of Taurus. And by putting these charts together, you can clearly see this horrendous situation where so many people around the world, I saw even in Ireland, there were thousands of people marching to give equal rights and protection to the Palestinians uh, because Israel has all this power that they are now destroying so many buildings in Gaza and, and so on. And their fears of this leading to a wider war. The reason I bring that up and I brought the pipeline up is that we are now seeing various things that are, shall we say, almost every story I am downloading and seeing. For instance, the CDC, different um, them coming out and saying, uh, oh, you know, if you've got two vaccinations, you don't have to wear a mask and doing this and that. And it's massive confusion because we still have so many people who are unvaccinated. There's no requirement in these different stores, like just recently Walmart, Starbucks, um, wherever it is, all these target now, different, different businesses wanting their customers to come back in, needing to get the business. We get a CDC. Uh, remember, kids haven't been vaccinated. How many parents who may have been vaccinated with two, the Moderna or the Pfizer, two shots, or Johnson Johnson with one? So they're going to go in and you're going to be on an honor system. And those people who have not been vaccinated, we're trusting them. And we're even trusting the people who are saying they're vaccinated. What about bringing in a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, or two kids, or whatever it is? Um, in the rush in the United States, and let's not forget, this is another part of the confusion thing. India is falling apart. Brazil is falling apart. There are many countries, as, as terrible as what's been reported about uh, India, and there are reasons for this. It's authoritarian leader, same thing in Brazil, another authoritarian leader. If you go around the planet, uh, in Russia, they have issues that we, a lot of which we don't hear about. Of course, there's the Navalny, Navalny situation there. And I did a whole podcast on Russia's uh, first Saturn return. The modern Russia started in 1991. Saturn has a cycle of 29 years. And basically what's happening in Russia with Putin, Navalny, and all these marches and so on, there's a tremendous amount of revolt going on there. But as far as their vaccinations and other things, we often don't get any accurate reporting. What's happening in India, supposedly because of the health facilities in a lot of these small areas, rural areas, we don't know what's really going on there. Just like in the United States, where we still have, what, 570 or 580,000 reported deaths, and some people say it's exaggerated or not exaggerated. In India, it's said that it, there are actual statistics, and I think they're up to about 250,000 people have died as far as officially, as far as they can tell, 
they keep saying it could be three times higher, five times higher, because so many of these little towns are not reporting it in the same way that we might have reports in this country, the United Kingdom, and so many other countries, uh, or Korea, or um, Japan, and some of the other countries, particularly in Asia, where they're more rigorous, not so much China, because again, we get a lot of false information there because of their communist regime. So we've got to be very wary about what's happening. And there's also, um, we still are in a situation like we were last year and a little over a year ago with the World Health Organization um, issuing different kinds of things. Um, so uh, we're, in a, we're in a situation where almost every news story, uh, 60 Minutes ran last night, this whole thing going on with the what they're calling not so much UFOs anymore, they're calling it uh, unidentified aerial phenomena or UAPs uh, that the Navy has been tracking going back to 2004 with the Nimitz off the coast of California. And then uh, one of these uh, uh, reporters are actually w working on uh, as a sailor or somewhere within the Navy said, and this is a, a direct quote from, um, from CBS 60 Minutes. And again, th these stories have been on the History Channel. Um, if you listen to George Noring, Coast to Coast and Agent Aliens, you know, you're getting a whole lot of that on the History Channel, including a lot of the, these kind of stories uh, on the History Channel and Ancient Aliens and so on about UFOs and things like that. So now they're calling them, uh, and this was investigated by a person who had been in the Central Intelligence Agency and then through the Pentagon. And then I think it was last December, um, the New York Times, there was leaked information. And so on the front page of the New York Times was about these amazingly fast uh, UAPs or, or UFOs that are going so quickly over the waters. And this, this particular person was saying, and he was quoted, and the, the reporter on 60 Minutes was almost incredulous and had to stop, are you saying every day? And this person was saying every day in the Atlantic, off the coast of Virginia and North Carolina, Florida, and so on, that as the Navy is going out there, different pilots and different sightings almost on a daily basis of these uni um, unidentified aerial phenomena. And these are vehicles that are going at an unbelievable speed. And they're also going not just the air into the water coming out of the oceans and so on. So this was just on, uh, again, the reason I'm bringing this up is there's all this confusion. There's all this nebulosity. Same thing with the Israel and the Gaza situation. There's this confusion. Now, I'm not saying it's all Neptune and it's all this other planet chaos. What I am saying, though, as we'll see, since we're getting so much of our reporting right here from the United States, from the different news media, whether on TV or on the web or wherever we're getting it, the United States is now in a cycle. And let me give you the dates again. It started exactly on May the 1st. Okay, so here's what actually happened. On March 30th, transiting Neptune made a square to Mars in the U.S. chart in Gemini from July 4th, 1776. And we're going to have th two more of those. Neptune will square our Mars on September 29th of this year, and the last one will be January 29th, 2022. So Neptune has a cycle of about 165 years. So Neptune squaring our Mars three times, which started on March 30th, that happened about 165 years ago. Well, what was happening at that point? That was in the time period from 1856, um, bleeding Kansas, Lincoln-Douglas debates, um, so many different issues about slave and free states in the lead up to the Civil War. And by the way, I've just redone the Civil War chart, which is astounding. So let me just bring that in right now, because that's going to appear here in the Civil War chart. 
if you add the outer planets, chaos, just like it is in the United States birth chart where it's overhead with Neptune, this planet that takes about 310 years, about a quarter of the size of Pluto, but it was discovered November 19th of 1998, and it's called chaos, named after the primordial chaos and confusion before the creation of the universe. It goes back to Greek mythology. Uh, we think of chasm, think of emptiness, think of abyss, think of, again, chaos before, uh, or the state before the creation of life. That's the name of this particular body. Again, these bodies get named by the astronomers. They have to go through a, a kind of a whole rigorous thing. When these planets are first discovered, they're given kind of a number and a date and all that. And then they have to be acknowledged, I think by, it's called the, the Minor Planet Center. They're in New England and they sort of, for whatever reason, the field of astronomy, the, the names are given or a, a name is suggested and they either accept it or not and so on. But basically uh, the, what happens here is the different planet, uh, the different planets that I'll be describing, all have mythological co context, themes, and archetypes. But I want to tell everyone the important thing here is that there's more than mythology, and that's what I'm going to be doing more about to understand by looking at these different charts and cycles. But at any rate, we have an exact time of the United States Civil War, Fort Sumter, the firing at Fort Sumter um, by the South, April 12, 1861, Charleston, South Carolina, 4:30 in the morning. We have this from, from historical records. When you do that chart, um, there's all kinds of amazing things in there in the regular chart, sun, moon, Neptune, all the regular planets. But when you add chaos and actually a planet called Varuna, which is a, an ancient Hindu god, and that's one of the planets I'll be talking about, they're both conjunct at the very top of the chart for the start of the United States Civil War. I've started doing research on Adolf Hitler's chart where chaos is it near the bottom of his chart when he was born, um, April 20th of 1889, and chaos in his chart is exactly squaring his Mercury and square to his rising degree uh, near the bottom of his chart. And and then with so many other charts here that I'll be sharing more, I've done put um, chaos into the chart for the start of World War II, and we have an exact time for that because we know when Hitler um, invaded Poland and there's an exact time, uh, September, that chart, September 1, 1939, using Berlin, which is where um, uh, Hitler started the war at 4.45 in the morning, even though that was a lightning of the, the, the Blitzkrieg into Poland. Uranus was directly up at the top of that chart at 21 of Taurus when World War II started. By the way, the new moon that just happened when I was doing this research, exactly on top of Uranus, think of Uranus as the lightning-like blitzkrieg of World War II started by um, Adolf Hitler. And chaos in that chart, it might not seem all that significant at first glance. It's at 15 plus degrees of Pisces. However, that's exactly where um, for the last two years I've been reporting the United States progressed, secondary progressed sun, our secondary progressed Pallas Athena, and our natal as a country, our natal Sedna and its progressed position of Sedna, a triple conjunction of in the progressive chart of the United States, including the natal Sedna in the middle of Pisces. That's exactly where chaos was when, when Hitler launched, launched World War II. The other thing is, in I'll be sharing about the chart for European civilization and also providing that particular chart in our folder for this podcast 82, as well as when the Archduke was assassinated that really started World War I. 
the start of Europe goes back to Christmas Day, even though you'll see a chart, it'll say December 29. It has to do with uh, the Julian calendar versus um, the Gregorian calendar, but the chart itself is accurate. So you'll see the date, December 29, 800, noon, Rome. It was actually Christmas Day at that point. And that chart is very connected to Hitler's chart and the chart for the Third Reich and so on. It turns out that when um, Hitler launched World War II and, and chaos, was at 15 plus a Pisces. Not only is that degree connected to where we are now as a country, but it activated two mid, uh, a midpoint position, Mercury invested its midpoint in the chart for European civilization going back to the crowning of Charlemagne. So that is a chart. It was originally in Barbara Waters' book, Sex and the Outer, Outer Planets. And I'll probably mention that in the Timeline to War article is history repeating itself because I used that chart for the, for the, the, the beginning of European civilization from... Uh, Christmas of 800. And now we see if you put chaos into the World War II chart, um, it's activating not just a, a significant midpoint having to do with safety and security of Europe at that time, but um, in the chart for European civilization in what we call the 12th house of that chart, Jupiter's in Pisces and the moon is in Pisces as well. In fact, the current transiting Neptune is exactly on top of the moon of European civilization. And that hasn't happened for 165 years. The midpoint for Jupiter and the moon in European civilization's chart is also this area of 15 of Pisces. So by looking in different ways and adding this little planet chaos that no one else seems to be focusing a whole lot on, even the people who are studying these outer planets, I'm seeing it finally listed at an ephemeris I found the other day. But um, one other site where there's a, a great woman who's into astrology and she's written about these different Pluto objects or objects near Pluto and beyond Pluto and is sharing about Sedna and Eris and Quaor and some of these other ones, she doesn't mention chaos. And, and yet it's the first one of all of these other ones. In other words, the first one in time, November 19, 1998. I'm going to give you the dates of the discovery of all these other ones and they all happen after the discovery of chaos. And let's remember, like, when, when we study Eris, we're talking about um, a goddess who was considered the sister of Mars. And that planet, uh, which is now a 24 of Aries, um, I've reported a lot about. I wrote an article, it's still in our section um, of Earth Aquarius News, that used to be the name of our old website. And that is our news section. And back in 2017, just before uh, former President Trump took the oath of office, I discovered by doing a bywheel of him and the oath of uh, for president on January 20th, 2017, I saw that Eris was exactly on his Sedna, no orb, exact to the minute of arc. So I did a whole story about that, and that's the time of the Me Too movement. And if you remember the day after his inaugural, uh, millions of women in Washington, D.C., all around the United States and all around the world were all in a gathering against what they felt were the sexual escapades of Donald Trump. You know, even though he's denied it and his supporters deny it, nevertheless, that really happened. Millions of people, many more than that showed up at the actual inauguration. And so Eris exactly on Sedna in his chart. And that's actually a wave. So everyone born 1946, 47, 48, 49, 50, in the early 50s, every single person on the planet who was a, a baby boom child, we're all experiencing Eris on our sadness. And so we're not all experiencing them as Donald Trump did. He took the oath of office. And so we had his four years and so on. Now he's a former president. We're still having the ramifications of his presidency 
and the Irasan Sedna issue at the time that he took the oath is still extremely significant. And all of us are having this as a wave, not just once, but three or five times. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. By the way, before I forget, oh, okay, well, let's go back to the Neptune thing. I don't want to forget about this. So I just told you the dates Neptune squaring our Mars. So by the way, um, between March 30th and May 1, okay, so that period of time in April, we were experiencing so much of the aftermath of the Derek Chauvin trial, where he was considered guilty on all counts relative to George Floyd. There were all those additional killings and shootings, mass shootings, Atlanta, Colorado, uh, in so many different areas. And I am saying that to me, Neptune squaring the United States Mars was definitely the shadow factor there because Mars has a lot to do with bloodshed and violence. Mars has many sterling qualities, of course, courage and passion, sports, energy, our mus muscles and our vitality, but it also has many shadow qualities. So I just gave you three dates of Neptune squaring our Mars. Neptune started to oppose our own Neptune on May 1. It will do it again on August 21 of this year when Neptune is retrograde, and the last time Neptune exactly will do it is March 1 of 2022. But just um, eight, eight days be before that, we're going to have the first Pluto return. I've shared about that, and I'll share a lot more about that. Pluto has a cycle of about 247 years. So we're going to be dealing with heavy-duty Pluto for the United States next year as Pluto will, will come back three times. And so the first wave of Pluto starting its cycle on February 20th, 2022, Neptune will still be in this larger cycle of opposing its own position. Now, oppositions can be illuminating. It's like the full moon. This is At the full moon now, we have so many groups around the planet, millions of people in all parts of the world meditating, sending out affirmations, prayers for goodwill, love, light. But traditionally, the full moon, and particularly total lunar eclipses or partial lunar eclipses, were considered scary times. This is where we get the whole thing about vampires and werewolves and animals uh, behaving weirdly. Um, of course, the tides are, are tremendously influenced by the push and pull of the moon and how whether it's at perigee or apogee, whether it's close to the earth or further away. So for instance, we're about to have an annular solar eclipse on June the 10th. It's annular, meaning ring. we see a ring of fire or of light around the, the, uh, the outer part of the sun because the moon will be at apogee. It's going to be too far away from the earth to completely cover the disk of the sun. But fundamentally, a lot of people might say, well, oh, it's only an annular solar eclipse. It's not a total solar eclipse. It's the same power. It's just that we don't get the complete darkness and there's a diamond ring effect. So we're about to have a, 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 a what I would call a very powerful solar eclipse. But because it's not total, it doesn't have kind of the emotional impact or for astronomers. It's still incredibly significant. And that's just coming up around the bend. Okay, so um, there were many other things I wanted to share about this, but the other thing is the reason why this is so crucial, two big things, is that my belief system is I just shared that Neptune began opposing its own position for the first time in 165 years. And what I'm saying is Neptune has a lot to do with things that are deceptive when it's negative, things that are nebulous, things that are confusing, even like uh, the planet chaos that is a real planet, which means things that are chaotic, Neptune has always stood for things when it's negative that are chaotic, that are confusing, that we can't see, that are deceptive. Drugs, for instance, or anything that people get hooked into. 
the opposite of the trident figure, which is the trident of Poseidon or Neptune, the god, ancient god of the seas, the opposite is the pitchfork of the devil. If you just take the trident and reverse it. And we know that the idea of the devil and so on is getting hooked into things that are evil or negative, just like traditionally the upright pentagram is considered um, a beautiful symbol, soulful, spiritual, of really the archetype of, of what human beings are based on, a star-like pattern, our torso, our two arms, um, and, our, and our two legs. And if you look at the beautiful symbol uh, of Leonardo da Vinci, you know, that is repeated in so many different books on art and metaphysics and so on, you'll see that extraordinary symbol. But the, from the satanic or the evil side of the down-pointing pentagram has been the reverse kind of image. So we have that with uh, Neptune, this powerful symbol of the trident, which represents a lot of religion and philosophy. The trinities of so many of the world religions is also represented by that trident. But then when you turn it upside down, you get the devil's pitchfork, and then you get different kinds of being hooked, whether it's drugs or things that are uh, violence or whatever it might be, cults, cults of personality and other kinds of things, hooked into alcohol, gambling, whatever it may be, where a person can't extract themselves. So we have all kinds of things we've known for decades, whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, another whole thing, nicotine, now things with fentanyl and um, different kinds of drugs and pharmaceuticals. And we have all of these different things often in waves, um, and waves are part of the Neptunian cycle. Again, as I said, Neptune has a lot to do, if you start studying it, with the stock market crash of 1929, Chiron is also very much involved there because the fate, destiny, north node of the moon at the time of that late October 1929, new, uh, uh, the, the stock market crash at the New York Stock Exchange that creates a Great Depression. This is what eventually leads to the power of Hitler, Mao, and Stalin. Mussolini was already in power, but he becomes even stronger then. You also have Franco, and you have the rise of the dictators, and you also have the Great Depression, which then leads to... Um, America eventually getting involved with World War II and so many other things going on there. But nevertheless, Neptune, um, as, as Barry Lyons, who helped us to get an exact time for the birth of the United States, also did incredible amounts of research with economics, uh, the beginning of the Soviet Union, and also the stock market crash. And he coordinated, in particular, an actual sextile, not even a square, of Neptune exactly to the United States Venus, a precise 60-degree alignment that set off the New York Stock Exchange and its crash back in 1929. So I'm monitoring a lot of that, and actually the planet Uranus is about to cross a significant position this year in that chart. It's not um, the Neptune position, but it is where Chiron and the node of the moon, which is a fate destiny point, they were locked exactly together. Chiron, as I've shared before, is not just wounded healing, it's not rainbow bridges, just uh, I mean, that's part of it, and shamans and mentors and alternative uh, deja vu, um, alternative health and things like that. But Chiron has a lot to do with the twilight zone being out of a chronological time. And also in the twilight zone, where we suddenly leave chronological time. As I've shared before, President Kennedy was murdered exactly on the day of a Chiron station. I did all this research that that was not the only time Chiron was so significant. It was um, stationary when we landed on the moon. It was stationary when the Archduke was, was assassinated on June 28, 1914. And it was, um, it was stationary uh, near the time of the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. Now, it's not just when Chiron is stationary. In this case, when the stock market crashed, uh, Chiron was conjunct the north node of the moon, a fate point very exactly, almost spot on, 
in late October 1929, Uranus is now crossing, crisscrossing that area in the next month or two, and then it will go back over that area two more times. So as I'll be sharing on Coast to Coast, and I'll be sharing more in the series, this is part of the struggle. It's the planet Neptune, it's Uranus, it's also Pluto coming back to its own position for the United States. These outer planets, and then after Pluto comes back next year uh, for the United States three times, it'll hit zero of Aquarius. That's where it's going to go. It's going to go into Aquarius for a long time. And zero Aquarius is where the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction happened on December 21. And so many people were thinking this, even astronomers, wow, beginning of brotherhood, sisterhood, the new age of Aquarius. Could this be it, the dawning of the new age? We have to look at transits and cycles. Pluto is going to be going back and forth over the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And while Jupiter and Saturn together in Aquarius can be very good in individual charts and for the world, if we're using it well, we also see that the pandemic is a whole key thing of, that's happening, that's a universal influence. And where is Aquarius or what is Aquarius? It's the universal air sign as opposed to Gemini and Libra. Aquarius is a universal air sign. And when Jupiter and Saturn just converge as two largest planets, now we're having this gigantic pandemic. And so this is, not, you know, and by the way, the exactitude of that was this past December. So in the lead up to the pandemic getting very strong, Jupiter and Saturn were still moving through Capricorn, which itself represents the final Earth sign. And so this was sweeping over the whole Earth and so, many, so much in the planet was devastated. The World Health Organization just said now, this year, that this would be a worse year for of the pandemic. Now in America, we're sort of trying to get our act together, hopefully, fingers crossed. But the CDC is putting out um, information that's, to me, very confusing, just like these other things. The universal area phenomena, confusing again. Israel and Gaza, confusing again. Um, just story after story, particularly the pipeline and the ransomware attack. And by the way, before I forget, this was, this just, this was what I was waiting for because I've done several things about Bitcoin, and I'm not saying Bitcoin is bad. I don't own any cryptocurrencies, and maybe that's my own issue, which is not good, because I know many people who've been involved with it over the years, but I never did it. So I'm just going to read here just briefly, because I knew this was going to come about, and I can't believe that the night before, um, or just before I'm doing this podcast on May 17th, and then I'm going to be on Coast to Coast tomorrow night. Here's the title. Blockchains were supposed to be, quote, unhackable, unquote. Now they're getting hacked. Okay, so let's see if I can, I'm just going to read this quickly. And there's no reason to believe, uh, this is from Futurism. In I get a uh, an app, and many of you may see it. I'm, I'm not that happy with it anymore because there's a lot of ads with it and other things. But it has Reuters, NBC, CBS, everything, you know, I mean, just... Uh, Business Week, I mean, everything that's left, right, center, Wall Street Journal, whatever it may be, this is from futurism. There are things from Europe and from Africa. There's a South China news agency. So it's a, it's a potpourri from left to right, up, down, you know, all kinds of different things. And you can, you can basically put in there, if you get this smart news, it doesn't cost anything to get all this news. At any rate, so this just literally came through. And I have no reason to think this wasn't true because I've been waiting for somebody to do this. And part of the reason I wanted to share this is 
With the ransomware part of the pipeline issue, see, that was totally related to Neptune. Again, on May 1, Neptune started opposing the United States Neptune, and that's a cycle that will be with us until at least March 1 of next year. But because chaos, this little planet is right next to Neptune, Neptune this year is also going opposite the United States chaos. So that's not an easy thing. By the way, chaos itself now is in Gemini at 26 degrees. The last couple years, over the course of the time of the last four years, when Hillary Clinton thought she was going to win and Donald Trump became president, we had Me Too movement, two impeachments, all this questioning of the voting that's still going on, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, everything. Guess what? Chaos was basically at 25 degrees of Gemini, squaring its own position and the power line of the United States birth chart. So even... The current position of Chiron, uh, chaos is not far away from this whole Neptune energy. And in a couple of years, Neptune by transit will be squaring a chaos in the sky. And, and obviously chaos, because of its own name, represents a shadow component of Neptune. Because the shadow component of Neptune is confusion, deception, illusions, and chaos itself. So it's fascinating that um, it turns out that this planet chaos is with Neptune at the power point of the United States chart. And I just said when the Civil War started, it was with this other planet, Varuna, also at the top of the chart. And as I keep putting chaos into different charts, and, and if you decide to order a consultation with me, one of the either 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, I will definitely give you, um, as I do with everybody, complimentary charts that I send to you by email of your natal chart, your transits, your progressions, before we do the reading, I always do that complimentary, um, but I can include a chart that will, it'll have a lot of symbols, but include many different centaurs and asteroids, but it'll include, it'll include um, chaos, it'll include Eris, it'll include Sednor, Quay, or Varuna, Orcus, and some of these other ones, Ixion, and so on, that I'll all mention. And that way you'll be able to start looking, looking them up and thinking more about them. Okay, so here's this article just down, I've just downloaded tonight. A guy named Victor Tangerman. Here, here's a. I'm just going to read it right, right as it is. It's not that long. Until recently, blockchains were seen as an unhackable technology, powering and securing cryptocurrencies. But that's no longer the case. Hackers have gotten away with nearly two billion dollars worth of cryptocurrency since 2019 by attacking the unique vulnerabilities of blockchains. MIT Technology Review reports. In other words, forget what you heard from Bitcoin boosters. Just because information or currency is on a blockchain doesn't necessarily mean that it's more secure than any other form of storage. In one recent attack, a hacker was able to gain control over Ethereum Classics network and rewrite transaction history. As a result, the attacker was able to double spend cryptocurrencies, getting away with some $1.1 million. In fact, the same qualities that make black blockchain technology so secure may also be the source of several unique vulnerabilities, a stark reminder that despite the hype, cryptocurrencies can't entirely sidestep the vulnerabilities of any other banking systems. Until the Ethereum Classic incident, hackers were generally aiming their, their sites at exchanges, the places where people trade and hold cryptocurrencies. By gaining the majority over the digital currency's computing power, the hacker was able to defraud other users by sending them payments and then rewriting the existing blockchain ledger to cover their tracks, as MIT Tech explains. This new ledger then exists as the authoritative one, a scheme known as a, quote, 51% attack, unquote. 
While it's an exceedingly expensive stunt to pull off when it comes to popular cryptocurrencies, smaller currencies are cheaper to take over, and we should expect far more 51% attacks in the near future. Most cryptocurrency hacks are still phishing and malware attacks, which take advantage of gullible targets by tricking them into handing over their credentials. Hackers have also been known to steal the keys to cryptocurrency wallets, the place where somebody's balance is stored in the blockchain. Phishing, malware, and key theft target uh, the, the exchanges and not the blockchain itself, as in the case of the 51% attacks. In response to this nefarious activity, more and more startups and pop are popping up to claim that they can make blockchains more secure and hack-proof. For instance, uh, onchain.ai is using artificial intelligence to keep track of any suspicious transactions on a given ledger to detect malicious bot activity. But as blockchain technologies become more complex, hackers are also growing increasingly wise to their unique vulnerabilities, getting away with billions. Okay, I was waiting for this. The reason is that I hear so much about Bitcoin. Oh, it's going to go to 250,000 of Bitcoin. It's going to go to a million of Bitcoin. And we've got Elon Musk. We've got, um, I'm not sure why I'm blanking out his name. Um, fellow owns the Dallas Mavericks who's on Shark Attack. Um, he's, he's, I'll remember his name in a little bit. Um, he is rivaling with Elon Musk and saying, oh, you know, the carbon... It, uh, imprint um, or the carbon uh, coming out in, for global warming is worse with gold, mining gold and silver and other things. And he's probably right about that part of it. You know, we don't get reports from the gold industry of all the kind of poisons and toxins and things with coal and other kinds of things and how expensive. But the point is, what I was wanting to drive here, the, the pipeline oil problem Neptune has always been associated with oil, oil and gas. And one of the charts I'm providing, which is amazing, because near the Carrington event of September 1, 1859, just arbitrarily, ironically, it turns out that the first successful drilled oil well in the world, according to at least a lot of the research, was in Titusville, Pennsylvania on August 27, 1859. And... So wells were being dug, but they didn't necessarily have the commercial ability through the drilling. This was the one that sort of started the ball rolling due to the technology. And guess what? Chaos and Varuna, the same two planets that would be two years later, a little less than two years later, still together and exactly at the top of the chart for the exact start of the Civil War. Varuna is the, is the primordial god from ancient Hindu mythology and religion. They're exactly together within one minute of arc. If you use noon for Titusville, Pennsylvania, August 27, 1859, we don't know the exact moment that the success of the drilling there, but that's the date. And there might be some kind of information. But um, one uh, can, and by the way, Orcus was not far away either. And Orcus comes from an Etruscan mythology as a kind of second Pluto force, but maybe a little bit more benevolent because it comes out of ancient, uh, the, the area of ancient Italy. And I've studied a lot about Etruscan um, history, so that was fascinating to read more about Orcus, this other outer planet. I'll mention all of them in a moment before I read that uh, uh, timeline to war story. 
So again, chaos and Varuna, here I am looking at right now, 23 degrees of Sagittarius and 57 minutes for chaos, 23 degrees and 58 minutes for Varuna. One minute of arc, not a degree of the zodiac, which itself would be a tight orb, not a half a degree, not a quarter of a degree, one sixtieth of one degree as oil sort of enters the world. Now this was only like, what was it, um, 13 years uh, very close to 13 years after Neptune was discovered, September 23rd, 1846. Uh, I've shared a lot about the Neptune discovery chart in podcast 80, so I'm not going to talk about that again, but very, very important. And we're going to have Saturn Neptune come together in um, February of 2026 at zero of Aries. That's a big, big cycle because these Saturn Neptune conjunctions, as I shared in podcast 80, that you should listen to. They come about every 35 years, and they happened when Abraham Lincoln was born, and then a couple, uh, when the telegraph came into being uh, in the 1840s, just before, uh, and, and actually at the time of the discovery of, uh, of Neptune, Saturn and Neptune were still together because they can hang out for a year or so back and forth. So these Saturn-Neptune cycles, when they come together, are very powerful. And um, any rate, now I've shared a little bit more and included the, the chart of the, the oil, um, the start of oil drilling in the world. It just happened to be in the United States. Now, again, when we look at the actual planet, right this year, the big challenge, um, and I'm sharing this on Coast to Coast, and this is also on my web, on the website, Great Bear Enterprises, particularly uh, in global hotspots. Um, and if you are doing the astrology cosmic calendar and you start subscribing to it, you'll see that on June 14th of this year, which is in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the second Saturn-Uranus square in the sky. This year, Saturn and Uranus are squaring from Aquarius to Taurus. Uranus is in Taurus and Saturn's in Aquarius. And they first hit on February 17th uh, at seven uh, degrees, seven plus degrees of Aquarius and Taurus. But on June 14th, which let's not forget is Donald Trump's birthday and also traditional flag day, this is also the time every year when the sun is almost exactly on top of Mars in the United States chart, which is traditionally a planet of war and volatility when it's negative. Again, when it's positive, Mars can, Mars can be courage, athletics, personal power, passion, and so on. So again, if Saturn and Uranus are going to clash again at 13 plus of Aquarius and Taurus, and then um, just before Christmas, they'll do it for the third time at 11 plus degrees of Aquarius and Taurus, December 23rd, December 24th. So as far as the world cycle, apart from what the United States is having now with Neptune opposing our Neptune and squaring our Mars, the world is experiencing the clash of the traditional older rules and regulation planet of Saturn versus the breakthroughs and breakdowns and the unconventional and idiosyncratic revolutionary radical change energies of Uranus. What's unusual, though, is Uranus is in the more traditional money sign of Taurus, which is more fixed in terms of money uh, related to Venus, whereas Saturn is in the sign Aquarius that uh, once Uranus was discovered in 1781, people may not realize in astrology that Saturn was said to rule both Capricorn and Aquarius, just as we've had uh, planets from going back all the way to ancient Egypt and so on, where Mercury rules both Gemini and Virgo, Venus rules Taurus and Libra, Mars rules Aries and Scorpio, even though a lot of astrologers, once the discovery of Pluto, wanted to say, hey, Pluto rules Scorpio, but it doesn't rule it on a day-to-day -day level because Mars as a two-year cycle makes every alignment going around in a chart. So as I often say in these podcasts, if you have Scorpio rising, 
your sun in Scorpio, you've got to use Mars as your main ruler. Pluto will only move in two years. When Mars goes around the whole zodiac and makes every alignment, Pluto will move two or three degrees. Pluto doesn't rule Scorpio on a day-to-day -day basis. It is affiliated with it, just as Pluto's really affiliated with, with Aries and with the planet Mars itself. They're kind of mirror images of each other, one being more deeper, more universal with Pluto because it's further away, and Mars being more outer and more um, more of something we can see because it's a per more of a personal planet closer to the Earth and the Sun. So it turned out Saturn used to rule both Capricorn and Aquarius, but when Uranus was discovered 1781, we had the Industrial Revolution, all kinds of radical change, Industrial Revolution, all kinds of inventions, astrologers felt, hey, Aquarius, that, that's where Uranus rules. So, so we have an interesting situation where Saturn, which used to rule both of those signs, is now in Aquarius, the sign that Uranus is said to rule, whereas Uranus is, is in the sign of traditional money and assets and banking, which Venus rules Taurus. So that's one of the unusual things. And the fact that these planets are clashing and we can connect um, these energies, unfortunately, to the stock market crash, um, of 1929, that's one of the things I'm saying and I'm studying, as well as so many other areas of our life. So we're in the midst of a pretty heavy-duty clash of Saturn Uranus. We've got, for the United States, Neptune squaring on Mars, which hasn't happened in that particular way for a long time. And Neptune hasn't opposed our natal Neptune since the 18, late second half of the 1850s leading up to the Civil War. And as many people talk now with, with the political divide and the racial divide and what's happened with the pandemic and the social divide and the haves and the have-nots, we certainly have this feeling of a potential different kind of civil war developing in the United States, if not around the world. Plus, just like we have, um, I wanted to mention all these countries, um, this is just a brief list of so many of the countries that have dictators or authoritarian rulers. And of course, Donald Trump was moving in that direction whether we liked it or not. Now he's not president, but there are rumors he might still, if he gets off of some of the things that are being investigated about him, he keeps saying, well, it might run again, or we might have one of his uh, siblings, uh, not siblings, but one of his children uh, run for office or one of his relatives getting into power. But here's just a brief list of aut autocrats around the planet. Uh, in China, in Russia, in Syria, in the Philippines, in Turkey, in Belarus, in Hungary, in Brazil, in India, which is 1.4 billion people and supposed to be uh, the main uh, democracy re republic in the world. And yet uh, Modi, the current leader, is a very nationalist uh, Hindu supporting leader. And so it's creating a lot of rivalries there, just like with Netanyahu in Israel, who isn't necessarily a dictator, but he's prime minister. Um, now at this particular point, by the way, I did want to mention, um, I don't know if we want to call it ironic or, or synchronistic, uh, Donald Trump, uh, who was greatly supportive of Netanyahu, a uh, leader, prime minister of Israel, and vice versa. They both have Mars at the same position in late Leo. And guess where else, uh, guess who else or what else has Mars in late Leo? The state of Israel from May 14 of 1948. So when you see all this reporting now on a daily basis, these horrific explosions, so many people dying, civilians dying, little children, uh, and and. Israel is also going through its own mini civil war, and that could grow too, because there are Arab Israelis, and in different of these towns that they're now reporting, there's this uh, violence that's happening back and forth between Israelis against Israeli Arabs and Israeli Arabs against 
uh, Jewish Israelis. And so this is getting out of hand too. So we've got a triple Mars thing. We've got the fact that the former president of the United States, he's the one who transferred our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which created a whole lot of hostility. Um, then, of course, we had our president um, sort of forge ties that hadn't happened with Israel and Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. He used his uh, manipulative skills to create that um, due to money and power and who knows what we sold to these different countries, just like we're selling so many weapons to Saudi Arabia. There's so many things happening through the Pentagon and military supplies and things. Again, our tremendous support to Israel. And this is what the world sees, whether it's in Ireland or different cities around the world, how the Palestinians, there's no even-handed uh, activity. Even Bernie Sanders, of course, we all know he's Jewish. And uh, on the progressive left side of the political spectrum, just literally said today, hey, we can't just have hundreds of millions of dollars going to Israel. Um, again, they have nuclear weapons. They've never said that they've had them. And they're definitely in control of the situation. Uh, of course, it's terrible that you have uh, groups like Hamas in Gaza who are shooting rockets at the Israelis. And these are organizations who want to destroy Israel uh, because of Israel coming into being in that whole part of the world after 2000 years and so on. Now, we can't go through that whole history, but we do have a chart for Israel. We have its, we can see its progressions. We can see the different transits. We can look at new moons and full moons. We can look at the world leader or the leader of Netanyahu connect him up to Donald Trump and connect it up to the state of Israel. And you got three Mars energies in the same spot. Uh, so, you know, 26, 27 degrees of Leo. Uh, also, Libya and um, Egypt, with its uh, former general, Sisi, then took off his general out, uh, uniform. And remember, uh, they had naturally elected, remember the Arab Spring? It wasn't that long ago, 2011, 2012. Mohammed Morsi, he was elected uh, the president, and then he was undermined, and General Sisi, who had been in charge of the army, uh, decided to run against him and took off his general uniform. And we are a big supporter, the United States, of generals in a lot of these countries. This is still a remnant, or maybe not even a remnant, it's still an active thing, whether in Pakistan and Chile, uh, which happened in Iran in 1953, where, we, where our CIA overthrew the, the naturally elected leader, Mossadegh, and we installed the Shah of Iran. And this is why we've got the situation in the Persian Gulf and with Iran, and why it's as a revolutionary country, and we keep having this continuing crusades from that started, I think it was 1095. I have the chart for it. It's not right in front of me. And there was a specific date and uh, from the Pope, Pope in Rome, um, and the, the crusades were on for a couple of centuries. This whole battle between old religions is part of the Piscean Age. We're not done with the Piscean Age. It's great that Jupiter and Saturn have entered Aquarius, but you see, they've entered Aquarius at the beginning of Aquarius in the in the zodiac, whereas these ages, 2,160 ages, the age of Aquarius, that starts from 30 degrees of Aquarius as a constellation from Pisces backwards. So we've got to we've got to understand the difference between ages, which are 2,160 year cycles, long cycles, which have to do um, with with the the Earth. And what's called precession of the equinox, where the beginning of spring times is falling backwards from Pisces being the stars of Pisces behind spring in the northern hemisphere to Aquarius. And there isn't an exact date. That's why in 22 plus years ago, I said dawning of age of Aquarius takes 90 plus years. It's, it's, there isn't one day that it happens. It's not Jupiter and Saturn coming together on December 21 
last year at the winter solstice. It'd be great to believe that, but that's not true. And we don't want to believe things in astrology that aren't true. By the way, um, National Geographic just put out a story yesterday, 4.32 in the afternoon, having to do with um, sunspot, sunspot maximum cycle just about to get started. We're going to have more sunspots, more solar activity, more potential solar flares. I shared about this on Coast to Coast the last time. And I also brought this up with the Carrington event when I was talking about cryptocurrencies a couple of podcasts ago. And National Geographic, if you're on um, Smart News, it's phenomenal. They have wonderful stories. And now I'm getting actually, as a gift from a family member, for, for one year, National Ge Geographic magazine. I mean, so many of us, when we were kids, you know, a family member would always have the beautiful National Geographic magazines. They're still going strong. They do a phenomenal job. Just got a whole edition on whales and on oceans. And that's something that's really fantastic to have. Um, it's not all that expensive for a one-year subscription. And they often have a lot of maps. Um, I have one that um, a friend gave me of maps of ancient of the ancient world. So that's a gold mine. At any rate, they just put out a story um, on the Smart News app um, on the sun becoming super strong. And there'll be a podcast that I'm going to do about something in the future in 2024. I don't want to, you know, sort of throw that out at you right now, but it's a very special thing that has to do with uh, something that's going to happen with eclipses. And I've given a hint about it before, but I will do a whole podcast about that. Okay, so um, the reason I brought up the autocrats is this. We have a problem in the world. Remember, it was like only a couple of decades ago, the first George Bush, a thousand points of light, he was talking about a new world order. Um, and when that comes up, there's the, all these questions. The Bilderberg group, 1954, the elites of money and power, the deep state, all the things that sort of have been hinted around with uh, the Donald Trump group, QAnon and all these different things. Um, now, I'm not saying there isn't. When I was in college and I was at Michigan State and I've shared, you know, that um, that's where I got my start with reporting back in 1968 to 1971. I even put an article I wrote about Malcolm X, uh, Life and Death, and it's on one of the podcasts when I was sharing about George Floyd a couple of um, last year in late May when he was murdered in Minneapolis. And so you could see the, the old Mark Lerner, actually, my birth name is Lawrence, and so you'll see me with wire and glasses and a beard when I was 19 or 20 writing this particular article. So that's actually me from a long time ago, and it seems like forever. But um, what I wanted to say was, is that we're, we're going through these cycles, and the cycles are repeating themselves, and, and history repeating itself. Recently, um, last year, everything was focused about 1968, the most politically divisive year in like the last 15 years, 50 years. And that, of course, was several years after JFK was murdered. As I said a little earlier, on the day JFK was murdered, Chiron was not moving. And it has a lot to do with twilight zones of strange time. We're all thrown out of chronological time. That article that I wrote on uh, one of the more important articles I ever wrote, The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point of the 20th Century, about JFK, about Chiron, it's still in our Earth Aquarius news section. So if you go in there, you can read that one. And the even bigger one, uh, in terms of the amount of work I did about atomic energy and nuclear energy, goes all the way back 38 years, I think, no, 39 years, to Taurus of 1982, which was the springtime 
I think it's of 82. I'm pretty, yeah, 1982. In the newsletter, that's when I first came out with my article on astrology and atomic energy going into x-rays and radiation and Hiroshima and all kinds of things. And I discovered what's called the nuclear axis, which goes between around 7 and 11 degrees of Gemini and Sagittarius because of certain planets and the stars Aldebaran and Antares and the Neptune-Pluto conjunctions of 1891-1892 in, in the area of uh, 8 of Gemini. Remember, the United States has Uranus at 8 of Gemini, and JFK's uh, birth son, he's born May 29th of 1917, his son is right in the United States, Uranus. So we've got, I mentioned earlier, Israel was born at, at the when Uranus came back to its discovery point. Uranus, unfortunately, uh, in many ways it's great because it was part of America's victory at the Revolutionary War in 1781. It was discovered in March in Bath, England by Sir William Herschel. By October, we had the defeat of Cornwallis to Washington, and everything really changed in that March, springtime, and summer of 1781 after Uranus was discovered. Because for the most part, from um, July 4th, 1776, when you look into the Civil, uh, the Revolutionary War of 1777, 1778, 1779, 1780, uh, if you had polled the public and in terms of the battles that were being fought, most of the public uh, of the 13 colonies would have said, what the heck were we thinking? You know, Washington and all these Adams and Paul Revere and all these soldiers and everything, you know, we must be out of our minds. Then suddenly Uranus is discovered and everything starts changing around. So that's a very important thing. By the way, part of the reason this Neptune opposing our Neptune and squaring Mars is so crucial, just to remind you, we have Mars and Neptune square within one degree in the United States birth chart. But Neptune was undiscovered, you see, on July 4th, 1776. The founding fathers and mothers who were into deism and Freemasonry and all kinds of spiritual things, and let's not forget, George Washington was into astrology. So was Ben Franklin. They had almanacs. They were, they were farming. There was agriculture. And they knew about planting with the moon and cycles and crops and alchemy and all kinds of things. And then we get into things like Freemasonry free and all the things that are on the dollar bill and everything around Washington, D.C., and all these esoterics and so on. Now, let's not think that George Washington didn't know any astrology, didn't know about as above, so below. Turns out he was actually born, and this is amazing because I did the research, he's born with Neptune not moving. And when a planet isn't moving, its power for good or ill is extra strong. Now, Neptune can represent charisma, and it can represent all kinds of mass leadership. In, this, in, in the case of George Washington, leading the colonies to victory, against the British Empire, and then, 13 years later, becoming the first president of the United States. Now, let's, re let's remember, what, what was the last thing he did, just like Eisenhower? He gives his farewell address to his officers in New York and says, you know, one of the big things out of that is the United States should not get involved with foreign wars. And when Eisenhower, the day before JFK took the oath of office, January 20th of 1961, on January 19th, I'm not sure where it was, Eisenhower gave his famous Beware the Military Industrial Complex, and he was the leader of, of, of D-Day and uh, the, building the infrastructure uh, uh, of, of the road system throughout the, in, inter, uh, the interlocking roads throughout the United States, you know, which basically he had sort of tuned in in order to defeat the Nazis from D-Day, June 6, 1944, till uh, we had Victory in Europe Day. May 8th of 1945, with the bridges and the roads and going into Berlin, you know, from, from the West, 
meeting the Russians in there and defeating the Nazis and liberating France, liberating Belgium and all these other countries. So Eisenhower wound up being the person in charge of that and then winds up being president, creating our national roads uh, structure. So we have some extraordinary kinds of things going on with these cycles, but the United States came into being when Mars and Neptune were in a right angle. And now we know also Mars and chaos were in a right angle and that chaos and Neptune were together, but we didn't know that Neptune and chaos were there. We also didn't know that Uranus was in its location in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence happened because Uranus hadn't been discovered. The asteroids weren't discovered until the early 1800s. We didn't know where Pluto was until it was discovered um, in February and March of 1930. Uh, these outer planets I'm about to mention, they have all been discovered in the last 22 plus years with, with chaos being the first one. So uh, before I get burned out here, I want to read that story and I've shared a lot. And there's a lot more I could do now, but what I want to do here is I'm going to, let's mention all these different ones. Okay. Now, if you do any consultation with me, like I said, an hour or 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, you'll see them in the astrology shop here at Great Bear Enterprises. And this is if you're interested, if you're not, then you can always get the cosmic calendar and you can subscribe to that. That's a, that's a great start. We have our classes in the school of planetary studies that I started back in 85, 36, one hour classes, lesson notes. And my daughter has now made that into an audio system that used to be on tape cassette, if you can believe that to a small group of students starting in 1985 and there's a beginner intermediate and advanced and the prices are fairly low. We've come way down on that. You can learn astrology in your, in your spare time either joining the beginner series or get all 36 all at once. So that's a whole other thing. It's called the School of Planetary Studies. And it's not just Mark Lerner and everything I've studied. It's all my great teachers, Eleanor Bach, Dane Rudyard, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Evangeline Adams, uh, Charles Carter, Charles Jane, uh, Alan Leo. So many different great astrologers um, that I learned from that you would then be learning from if you do that. So anyway, if you decide that you want to get a consultation with me um, and you and you sign up for that, you, you, you go into the uh, telephone consultation area, then I will promise you that in, in addition to the complimentary charts I always give to anybody who does a, who orders a consultation, you get that usually the, the day or the night before I do the session with you, you get a natal chart, usually two copies of your natal chart, and you get a bywill of the natal and the transits and perhaps a progression of your chart that goes back to the time of your birth, um, so many days, well, actually so many weeks or months after your birth, depending on your age. That's what's called secondary progressions. There are many different kinds of progressions. Um, there's solar arc progressions, there's tertiary progressions, minor progressions, but the main progress system that's been used for hundreds of years, if not for one to 2000 years, is called secondary progressions, where each day after your birth, is equal to a year of your life. And as long as we know your birth time reasonably well, it works with great exactitude. So you'll get, you. I, I will always comment about people's progress charts because so many people really have not gotten familiar with that. I mean, unless you're your own astrologer, then of course, you know, whatever progress system you want to use. So, but, but what, what many astrologers now have not tapped into are all of these outer planets. Now, again, there are some people who are doing this and there's some fantastic astrologers, as I said earlier, who have dozens and dozens of asteroids, okay, beyond the four main ones that have been in use uh, since Eleanor Bach 
my main teacher from 1973 came out with her ephemeris with Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Judo, and Vesta. That started the ball rolling. It's a hardcover. It's pretty amazing. Um, her research was extraordinary. I've read some of her stories. She passed in 1995, um, but she wrote about Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta in the 1990s when we were still publishing. And recently, particularly with Pallas Athena, as well as Juno, I actually read in full her stories as she wrote them in Woken Planet Earth because they're so significant. But now we have astrologers who are working with dozens and dozens of asteroids, and there are dozens of them. As well, I mentioned Zane Stein, who had, who had given us so much about Chiron and significance, uh, about Chiriclo, Nessus, Pholos, and there's probably another dozen or or two dozen, I don't want to under under count them, of these centaur bodies. And there, many of them are around between Jupiter and Saturn, be further out and so on. Um, so there's a whole field of study about that. And now we have these trans-Neptunian or Pluto bodies beyond Pluto, beyond Neptune. Now, one other thing, when I got into astrology in 1972, 73, 74 in New York City, at that time, um, there were what were called uh, this goes back to the 1920s and 30s, particularly in Germany, there were these hypothetical planets It seemed like certain areas of the zodiac were forming um, energies. And so there were these planets that are still listed in, uh, one, in the main matrix software program I use. I never use them. Cupido, Admetus, um, Apollon, there are eight of these um, what, what I guess we would call hypothetical points. And so when I was getting into astrology, I took a, a class um, with Charles Emerson. He's passed on. There were a number of Charleses. There was Charles Carter in Britain, Charles Jane, who lived in Long Island. These were fantastic astrologers. And Charles Emerson taught about um, these particular things. We use what was called the 90-degree dial. And this is still used in Europe. There are many other type of charts than... Um, the regular chart wheel of the 12 houses that are familiar to most of us. In some places, they work with um, an eightfold zodiac and a 90 degree dial instead of a 360 degrees and so on. So there were all these uh, particular hypothetical planets, and they're still used by some people, I guess, but I never used them because they were never proven to be there. These particular planets have names and mythological stories, and if you go to Google or Safari, with any of these, you can then put in the planet Eris or the planet Sedna or the planet Quayar. As long as you know what you're, you know the spelling, then you can start studying these. But I'm just going to give you the list that I have. Okay, so all of these particular ones I've started researching, and I'm not going to give you the whole history. But I've said I've talked a lot about Eris and Sedna from time to time in my global hotspots and other these podcasts, and I've given out the discovery chart before for Sedna and Eris. So now for the first time, I am giving out in this particular podcast, The Discovery of, of Chaos from no November 19, 1998. Um, so I'm going to turn to a particular page here. Hopefully, I'll get no, here it is. Let me just mention this before I give you the list, and then I'm going to read the, the story, a uh, timeline towards history repeating itself. So I started doing this research about chaos last year, and here, this was... I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts. Um, the reason this is really significant to me is Joe Biden and Robert Kennedy are both born on November 20th, 17 years apart. Robert Kennedy is born November 20th, 
1925. Joe Biden was, when, when Robert Kennedy turned 17 on November 20th of 1942, that was the day that Joe Biden was born. Now, we now, uh, it turned out when, when Robert Kennedy um, died in 1968 uh, in June, of course, when, when uh, John Kennedy died on November 22nd, 1963, that was just two days after uh, Joe Biden turned 21. Now, remember, Joe Biden is only the second Catholic president we've ever had. The first Catholic running was Al Smith, governor of New York, and he lost uh, very, very badly uh, in, in 1928 to Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover won the electoral vote by a massive scale. And then it was the whole thing was reversed four years later when Roosevelt, who had also been the governor of New York, defeated Herbert Hoover uh, in 1932. But Al Smith was the first candidate uh, who was Catholic. He never made it. John F. Kennedy was the first Catholic. And he went down to Houston, I think it was in September of 1960, running against Nixon. And there were all these Protestant ministers who were really wondering, you know, are you going to support you know, separation of church and state, or are you going to be so allied with, with the Pope from Rome because of the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism? And the, the report is he, he, he spoke before about 500 Protestant ministers. He was invited to this gathering in Houston, and they gave him a standing ovation when he was done because, again, he was very articulate. Of course, he was a writer and a journalist. wasn't really meant to be president, although that was his destiny and everything that happened to him. But uh, then Robert Kennedy would have been, if he had won and survived, if he had won in 1968 or had waited till 72 and defeated Nixon at that point, he would have been our second Catholic president. What we have now is Joe Biden elected at 78. But very often we see these pictures of him in a certain room in the White House and we see a bust of Robert Kennedy. We are very much connected back to the JFK, RFK days of the Cold War. I do have a lot of concerns about what is happening now. It's not so much that I don't trust Joe Biden. I think he's a very compassionate person, certainly with all the grief that he's experienced in his life, the death of his wife and his daughter when he was 29 and he was just becoming senator at that horrendous time in his life, uh, the the death by can uh, brain cancer of his son, uh, uh, Bo, a couple of years ago, all the things that happened the last couple of years between Trump and him with Hunter Biden and what was going on with, with Ukraine and the things that led to impeachment. Nevertheless, uh, we do have Joe Biden as president. The problem is, as far as I can see, we have a void moon at this inauguration. And so I've shared about this with in, in a series of podcasts, the problems of void moon. The, set, the fourth Roosevelt um, inauguration took place at a void moon. He died of his cerebral hemorrhage on April 12, 1945, Harry Truman became the fourth vice president under him. And without any kind of uh, understanding of the Manhattan Project or anything else, uh, only a couple of months into that final Roosevelt administration, uh, Truman took power. But that was a void moon um, that took place on January 20th of 1945 in the last Roosevelt uh, term of office, which only lasted three months. And then the next time there was a void of a course moon for any president was JFK's. And um, it was also a Mars retrograde at the time of his inauguration, and he was assassinated. And then the next time there was a void moon was the second inauguration of Richard Nixon. And he did, you know, he was fine in the first one, although he was doing a whole lot of things illegally and wrong and with Cambodia and um, Vietnam and Laos and all kinds of other things. Uh, but with when he was re-inaugurated January 20th, 1973, 
there was a void moon. And less than a year and a half later, or uh, yeah, approximately a year and a half later, he had to resign due to Watergate. And then the next uh, void, of course, moon was the second administration of Bill Clinton, uh, January 20th of 1997. And within the next year, we had the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Okay. And then he was impeached. He, he survived the vote in the Senate, but Al Gore was tarnished by the whole thing, even though he got 500,000 more votes than George Bush. And that, that was the, uh, this, the Supreme Court decided that after 36 days in a five to four decision, uh, after 36 days. And so Al Gore got defeated in a sense, connected to the void of course moon under the second Clinton administration. And the last previous void, of course, moon, except for the one that just happened on January 20th of 2021. And it's an extreme void moon. A void moon is when the moon is near the end of a sign. And for so many minutes or hours, or sometimes even a day, it's not making any more traditional alignments, what we call the Ptolemaic alignments, conjunction, opposition of 180 degrees, a trine of 120, sextiles of 60 degrees, um, the, the major alignments. Now, there are, are questions about how you calculate the void moon, because we're now using Ceres, we're using Chiron, but they're not included in the void, of course, moon energy, and certain aspects are not included, like minor aspects, 45 degrees, 135 degrees, 72 degrees, quintiles, uh, sesquiquadrates, um, all, all these different unusual aspects that many astrologers use. They're not calculated in figuring out whether there's a void moon or not. So this goes back about 2000 years to this concept that the moon loses energy uh, by not having any more of these alignments till it gets into the next sign. Nevertheless, it does seem that there is a phenomenon that when a void moon happens, and, and I report about them in the cosmic calendar every couple of days. And the reason I do that is not because I fastidiously believe that things are all negative or everyone needs to know what the void moon is. I included it starting 40 years ago because I didn't want people saying, oh, why read Mark Lerner's Cosmic Calendar? He never includes even the void, of course, moon that's been around for 2000 years. So it's an option for people to know about. And one of the issues, sometime I'll, I'll produce it. I had a cover story, Astrologer Sound Off, about the void moon. And so many of the different authors from Welcome to Planet Earth all gave their takes in an article because I wanted to inform the public about the power of the void moon. And for the very reason I'm talking about now, there are question marks I have myself. We're not including like a trine of the moon to Ceres or the conjunction to Ceres or Pallas, Athena, Juno, invested. They're not included in regular alignments, like a trine, a sextile, a conjunction, so on, when we're calculating the void moon. Chiron's not included either. So these outer planets are not going to be included, okay, because the void moon concept goes back 2,000 years, and it has to do with these fundamental alignments, but it's still a powerful kind of energy. So at any rate, Barack Obama's first, first inauguration, if you remember, that was an extreme void moon. The moon was at 30 degrees of Scorpio, which actually was the sun degree from the time President Kennedy was murdered. And I was concerned about that and the fact that Barack Obama, when he was going to be inaugurated, would be inaugurated a void moon. Now, let's remember Joe Biden became inaugurated as vice president for the first time during a void moon, the same void. Do you remember that um, the Supreme Court Chief Justice um, reversed his name, like his middle name, Barack Hussein Obama, and he said something like Hussein Barack Obama, and there was a little bit of a smile. The next day, they repeated it in private with only a still photographer from, I think, CBS, no video. But the point is, with the amendment to the Constitution during the Roosevelt years that established 
we changed the date from March 4th, the traditional date of presidents being inaugurated due to what's called the lame duck Congress. In the old days, what was happening was you'd had the election in November and then because it took a long time by train or horse or stagecoach for the president to get to Washington DC or to wherever, like George Washington took the oath in New York because Washington DC wasn't, wasn't built yet and was named after him. But the point was by tradition, um, I forget who the first president was, um, was it Jefferson or Madison? Well, whoever it was in the early 1800s, I think it was Jefferson, um, then was 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 uh, at the White House, okay? Um, so you had, or at the Capitol building and so on, where the inauguration would take place, but traditionally be on March 4th every, every four years, unless it was a Sunday and then it would happen in private and then the public ceremony would be March 5th. But because of speedier traffic with planes and everything else, they wanted to shift the situation from a president becoming inaugurated in November, let's get it happening fa uh, faster for the inauguration. The election would be in November, and then we let's get the president to be inaugurated. So they changed the rules that January 20th at noon is when presidents take power. So the thing is, we now have a constitutional situation. You can't just sort of like not have, have the ruling. So the point is, by constitution, which is a kind of Saturnian agreement, the new president, for instance, on January, this is kind of interesting, on January 20th of 2021, turned out that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both took their personal oaths before noon. But by law, Donald Trump was still president legally until 11.59 and the clock struck noon. That's when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris basically became president and vice president according to law. The fact that they actually took the oath early is is questionable to me. But the point is maybe for them personally, those those are the moments, but for the nation, it's still noon. Um, so the point is, is that Joe Biden became the first vice, uh, became vice president during a void of course moon, uh, during the first Barack Obama inauguration. That was a confusing thing. And then uh, the second inauguration of Barack Obama was okay. There was no void moon. When Donald Trump took the oath, there was no void moon, but there was a void moon this, this time around. Another extreme one where the moon is at 30 of Aries. And I've already shared about that. In fact, what's weird is weird or synchronistic or odd, but also uncomfortable as far, as, far as I'm concerned. The void moon from uh, Joe Biden taking the oath as president this year happened at 30 of Aries when he became vice president under Barack Obama and the moon was void, the moon was at 30 of Scorpio. That's an exact 150 degree alignment from one void moon to another one, if you see where I'm going here. Now, while a lot of the things that are happening um, relative to the previous four years, to some people in our country who are more supporters of moderation or the democratic side, they see uh, Biden coming in and Harris as more of a like a conventional, let's try and get things back to normal. However, I always knew over the last four years, regardless of whether Donald Trump was going to be a good president or not, that the whoever was going to be inaugurated on January 20th of 2021 would be dealing with an extreme void moon. And we have this history of weird and difficult things happening with the void moon. The reason why people were worried that, say, uh, Nixon might um, might die in office uh, during his second term because he'd have a void moon or something would happen with Clinton and he might die uh, or Barack Obama would die for anybody having a void moon was because Roosevelt actually died 
in his fourth term. So he died of a cerebral hemorrhage, and the next void moon just happened to be John F. Kennedy, and he was murdered in Dallas. So people started thinking, if you have a void moon, maybe the president doesn't get out of office alive. Something happens to him. Either he dies from health or an assassination with JFK. What happened with Nixon was he had sort of created his own demise through Watergate, and he had to resign in disgrace. But that was still a death to him having to leave the office. And with, with Bill Clinton again, it was a scandal that tarnished his presidency still to now and really reflected on um, because he lied to Al Gore and then Al Gore never forgave him and actually didn't use Bill Clinton, who's a great campaigner. And then uh, Al Gore never won his own state of Tens uh, Tennessee. And if, if he had won his own state of Tennessee, which he lost to George Bush, Florida and the hanging chads wouldn't have mattered. So there's all these different things that are just bizarre and unusual, but we do have a void moon with this current presidency. And it does concern me about issues, about policies, about different things that are happening, not so much because it's, it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, but it's because there's a void moon. So the astrology, and I think a lot of the issues regarding the extreme uh, positions of the GOP now, um, the way that that party is moving where they're denying that Joe Biden won, that the vote was wrong and other things like that is all part of um, the void moon energies because the Barack Obama, Joe Biden first inauguration was a void moon. And the Republicans particularly tried to deny everything that Obama did. And then when, uh, when uh, Donald Trump became president, he was overturning one thing after another from the Obama years. And that's another way in which one destroys a previous president's policies if they came into office during a void moon. So when you, if you hear what I'm saying, I didn't plan to spend a whole lot of time on this, but this is part of this Neptunian cycle. So for, the, for this four-year cycle, like it or not, it started with a void moon, extreme void moon at 30 degrees of Aries. And uh, by the way, on the insurrection day, and I shared this in a previous podcast, Mars was at 30 degrees of Aries. And in February of 2019, the previous Mars-Uranus conjunction was also at 30 degrees of Aries. And on the day Joe Biden took the oath, when the moon was void, later that day, there was a Mars-Uranus conjunction. And there was also a Vesta station. Vesta has a lot to do with safety and security the day before Joe Biden's administration at 21 plus Virgo, which is exactly square to one minute of arc of the United States Mars. Now we have Neptune squaring our Mars uh, from the United States birth chart and imposing its own position, imposing chaos. So this administration, while Democrats and progressives might be saying, hey, great, look at what we're accomplishing. There's a void moon here connecting to a previous void moon and connecting to Vesta not moving at this inauguration to a Mars-Uranus conjunction that was happening on the day of the inauguration. And now we're having a lot of questions about everything. CDC, UFOs, now called Universal Aerial Phenomena, um, CDC issues, what's happening in India and Brazil and around the world, the Israeli situation. We're giving so many, so many millions of, hundreds of millions of dollars to Israel for their weapons. They never admit that they have nuclear weapons. Um, and just about every subject, including the colonial pipeline, which, which fell apart with the ransomware attack. Um, and they gave apparently $5 million. And this was a very uh, destructive thing. And, and it can represent literally and figuratively a wave in the future. These, these ransomware attacks, again, what are they asking for? They're not asking for gold. They're not asking for silver. Remember in movies we've seen, oh, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna kidnap somebody or we're gonna do this thing we're gonna shut down your thing and you, you you know they find some wealthy person they want them to go to the bank and hand over so many millions of actual u.s dollars you know hundred dollar bills or in 20s you know we want two million dollars or five million dollars or whatever it is or we want gold or silver that you have stored away if they know what's happening this is all cryptocurrencies and you know part of the thing here again which is a wave into the future that's why neptune is a higher octave energy to Venus and has a lot to do with mass influence with money. I can't get into all the reasons why, but part of the shadow side of Neptune and what we're in right now is with Neptune opposing our Neptune, opposing our chaos and squaring our Mars, and we're in this wave until the early part of next year, and then Pluto takes over and starts returning to its own position. Then Pluto will go into Aquarius, activate the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that we just had, which is again a universal air sign. We don't know where the pandemic is gonna go with the, all these variants. We may seem as if like we're in a coming out party and everything seems to be getting better here in the States. But if you don't block travel, travel from India, if you don't block travel from Brazil and these other places, and so many other places have not even started to vaccinate their people. So there's a whole focus on over vaccination in the wealthier countries and so many other countries that don't have great healthcare and so on are being forgotten. Africa, Latin America, um, and other parts of the world. There's just so many places, places that are all ravaged by civil war and all kinds of things where, where people are not getting vaccinated or not have the opportunity to get vaccinated as well, whether you believe in vaccination or you don't. So at any rate, these are all serious things. So back to the chaos discovery there's an actual chart. If you go into the folder, now the chart is for noon. I, this is not necessarily, I, this is the only place I, I, I found it somewhere. Uh, I don't know if noon is the exact time. I think whoever put this chart out, I know the date is correct, November 19, 1998, but I'm putting it out. I'm not saying it happened exactly at noon that um, chaos um, was located. Often these are located, uh, for instance, chaos in the chart that you'll see is down below. Well, how do you discover something if it was under the earth and down below? Obviously, you're not you're not discovering it in the normal way by seeing it through a telescope. So somebody created this chart for the right day and time, uh, right day and year, and for Tucson, Arizona, where it was discovered. But the point is, it, it was probably discovered through photographic analysis, and somebody then found it through technology of looking at different plates and different different photographs from like the day before or two weeks before whatever and said oh wow we found this particular planet there it is or we verified it so the discovery position of of chaos is at 26 of taurus and you'll see it toward the bottom of this chart but this is not necessarily actual time of birth um, on that day but i wanted you to at least have it so that you know now the other thing is again it took a while for this to be named. Um, it has a 309 plus year cycle. From what I've seen, it's about a quarter the size of Pluto, according to what they know. They say that chaos is interesting, that it's not a solid planet. Well, basically Jupiter and Saturn, I mean, these are gaseous planets. I mean, we're still trying to discover um, the Mercury, Venus, Earth, um, Mars, these are terrestrial planets that have solidity to them. But when we get to Jupiter and Saturn, where there's enormous areas of gaseous energies and discovering more about what is going on in the core of, of Uranus and Neptune and so on. So this is a faraway body. It has a 310 year cycle. 
which is what, 50, 63 years more than Pluto. And I just wanted to at least have you know that. Now, right now, that planet is at 27 degrees of Gemini, moving very slowly. Um, so, Eris, uh, 25 of Aries. It was discovered January 5, 2005. It has a 559-year cycle. Sedna, uh, currently at 28 of Taurus. Sedna, discovered November 14, 2003, an 11,408-year um, cycle approximately. I think sometimes that changes from 11,400 to 500, whatever, but it's an incredibly long cycle. Because of our telescopes, it's amazing that we just have found Sedna. And there's a lot more to what I will share at other times about perihelion when these planets are going to get close closer to the sun than other times and so on. Uh, Sedna comes out of an Inuit mythology of uh, a goddess of the frozen depths. Eris is said to be the sister of Mars who started the Trojan War. Chaos again, the chaos, the primordial chasm darkness before um, all of creation out of Greek mythology. Uh, Quaor uh, is at um, let's see, five plus of Capricorn right now. Quaor, um, June 4th, 2002 has a 286-year cycle, is named after a creation god from a, a Native American tribe from the greater Los Angeles area. Varuna, three plus of Leo right now. Varuna discovered November 28, 2000, 279-year cycle, a creation god from Hindu um, religion and mythology. And I've started working with Varuna, seems very fascinating. Orcus, 11 of Virgo, and... and um, be sort of allied with Pluto, said to be a little bit more favorable from an Etruscan previous, the pre previous civilization of Italy was known as Etruria and Etruscan, um, a god of the underworld of that, of that type period. By the way, some of these have moons. This is part of the reason why it was very exciting when Sedna was discovered in November 2003, there was a lot of research about it. And then they sort of lost interest because Eris was discovered 13 months later and Eris has a moon. Because Eris has a moon, it was considered incredibly powerful. Well, um, then there is this moon with, um, or let's see, I think I want to make sure I got this right, with Orcus called uh, Vance, Vance, V-A-N-T-H. Um, and Orcus was discovered two, uh, February 17, 2004. Uh, again, it's at 11 of Virgo now. And it has a cycle of 247 years, which is almost the same cycle as Pluto. It's not in the same exact orbit, but it has a orbit of a time period of that. Gong Gong. Now, this is one of those I don't have yet that would actually appear in with symbols or images in the chart, but I can tell you that Gong Gong is at four of Pisces. It's named after a Chinese water god, and there's a, it has a moon that I can't pronounce who is said to be like a serpent with nine heads and so on. This Gong Gong... In, uh, um, particular planet, discovered July 17, 2007, like Eris, has a cycle of 554 years. So its moon, um, from what they're saying, is a nine-headed snake monster. And both of this, the Gong Gong is a Chinese water god, uh, connecting with floods and the tilt of the earth, and kind of a chaotic force. So that's very interesting. And uh, this moon, which I can't pronounce, um, so it has a moon. So then we've got Haumea, which is related to uh, a fertility goddess from Hawaii. It's currently at 27 plus of Libra. 
discovered December 28, 2004, has a 284-year cycle. And Maki Maki, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's six of Libra, is the, a creation guard from the Easter Island folks there. And that's a 306-year cycle, discovered March 31, 2005. And I, I have reported before how Maya and Maki Maki are in the new... Uh, 10-year ephemeris. I don't have it in front of me, but it's from uh, the folks in New Hampshire, and they put out a fantastic uh, ephemeris from Neil Mickelson, uh, redone by Mark Pottinger. I think, uh, um, at any rate, uh, I don't, if I turn around, I would get it, and I, uh, I don't know if his first name is, it's Rick Pottinger, sorry, not Mark, Rick Pottinger, who worked with Neil Mickelson. And they put together one from, I think it was 2007 to 2020. And now they put out, they weren't going to do this. They put one out from 2020 to 2030. So that 11 years, and they're including Haumea and Maki Maki in there. For some reason, those two, they're putting in there, the other one's not. So then there's Ixion, um, a king of the Lapiths, 250-year cycle. It's currently a one of Capricorn, uh, May 22nd, 2001. And it has not a very good history because of like a misbehavior of this particular king. And he's like on the rack and it doesn't sound like a very good influence. But remember, all of these are mythologies. I do believe there are other sides of all of them. For instance, Eris and Sedna, goddesses have a negative connotation when you hear their mythologies. I don't believe that that's totally the case. So I think that there's much more than mythology and we will know more about that. The last one is Rhadamanthus. Um, two of Scorpio, two plus a Scorpio, discovered April 17 of 1999, 242-year cycle, considered the judge of the dead, the Elysian fields, much more of a noble figure than Ixion. It seems like Ixion and Rhadamanthus are almost opposites. The reason that this is all important to me and why I'm sharing it is that remarkably chaos is the first discovered one of all of these. November 19, 1998, and there's going to be a partial lunar eclipse on November 19, 1998, as I shared on Coast to Coast last time, and my concern is that's one day before the birthday of Joe Biden. If, if there's a, an eclipse, a, a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse, and it's within a day or two of one's birthday, that's a powerful event. And one needs to recognize that. So the, the, the president of the United States, who's now president under a void moon, who became vice president for the first time under a void moon, with all the issues with the pandemic, we're having the 20th anniversary of, of 911. He wants uh, he wants us to get out of um, Afghanistan. He's announced that that should happen by then. Former President Trump wanted us to get out by the beginning of May. So we're removing troops from Afghanistan. There's all this confusion and question from the military and from other you know, people in the State Department and former leaders. Is that a wise thing? Um, with the Taliban potentially coming back and telegraphing our moves. So what I'm saying is a lot, around the world, there are a lot of issues that I find of great concern. I don't want us going back into a Cold War mentality. As much as I've studied the JFK and RFK years, and I was a student at that time, or I was a young person, 19, uh, 13 years old when JFK was murdered. And I was 18 years old when Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King were murdered in 1968. And I got my start in writing and reporting and things like that. Um, those are dangerous, dangerous years. And I do get a sense that under Joe Biden, we're suddenly going back to a person who was born in 1942. Um, and now 
it turns out that the actual discovery of this planet that leads all the discoveries of all of these other planets, okay, like Varuna is November 28th, 2000. I just said Rhodomathus discovered April 17, 1999. Ixion, May 22nd, 2001. Um, uh, Haumea, December 28th, 2004. Quayar, June 4th, 2002. You see what I'm saying here? They're all from 1999, 2000 and beyond are all the discoveries of these, including Orcus, including Gongong, Makimaki, Haumea, Quayor, Sedna, Eris, the whole batch of them, except chaos. And chaos is, is probably the smallest of all. They say it's a liquid body, and it's a quarter the size of Pluto, and it's suddenly sort of forgotten about, maybe because it's so small. And it's not really a god or a goddess. You see, with the mythology, it's like a pre-god or goddess, and we know what chaos is. Plus, there's chaos theory. There's so many things. Again, one of the shadow elements of Neptune is confusion, deception, illusion, uh, cult of personalities, getting hooked into things, and things being chaotic. So I don't think this is arbitrary. Just as Uranus is the first of all the planets to be discovered, which completely revolutionized astronomy and astrology. Because to, to the ancients in the medieval times, Saturn was the, the final planet. The stars were fixed. We had this heavenly order. Now, again, when we got Copernicus and we got Kepler and Gal uh, Galileo and Kepler and different individuals for Isaac Newton, and we suddenly learned, wait a minute, the sun is the center of the solar system, it's not the earth, all these disagreements between the Vatican and these different people and authority figures and so on. But Uranus is the, and when we get into that later, that discovery chart is extraordinary because it has implications for all the discoveries of other planets. As far as the outer group of planets, this group that I'm talking about, Chaos leads the way, and I think that's significant as a metaphor and as an archetype. Having said all that, I'm going to put away all these other charts. Again, they're all going to be in the folder, which you can only see at Mark Lerner Astrology, Astroscope, and I'm going to put all these charts away. There's so many of them. I could go on and on here, but I want to um, read the article. So that's what we're going to do now. And thank you very much for listening to this part of it, but I'm just going to continue here. So we've gone um, about, I don't even know now when I started this thing, but I think we're at an hour plus. Actually, I'm going to take a little look here, a sneak peek. It'll tell me uh, how long. Okay, we've been recording for two plus hours. So this should only take another 20 minutes or so. So we're doing pretty well. Uh, I think the longest one of these podcasts that I ever did uh, was uh, three plus hours. So... I'm going to just read this as it is. In, in the next time, we're going to go uh, part two. I don't know when I'm going to do it. I'll get into some other things that I didn't talk about now. I, I want to repeat before I get into this. I don't believe, even though I've been talking about civil war and putting chaos and Varun and some of these other planets in there in strategic positions or World War II's chart or European civilization or Adolf Hitler's chart, um, even though that I know that next year, we're, we're having an 83-year exact cycle of Jupiter coming back uh, to 1939, day by day, week by week, month by month. It concerns me, just as this year is 83 years since 1938. And there were many things that happened in the prelude to the beginning of World War II that worry me about this year. Okay, so here we go. Timeline to War appeared on page four of this issue. You can see the dramatic cover from 28 years ago. 
from Gemini 1993, Planet Earth magazine. You'll also see at the top of the cover uh, was part two of a, of a story I was running, Pluto Inside Neptune's Orbit. That was a fascinating thing. I was sure more about that. It turns out every 247 years in the Pluto cycle, for 20 years, Neptune, uh, Pluto uh, becomes uh, inside Neptune's orbit, and Neptune goes outside and becomes more of the outermost planet as far as the regular planets. And that has an amazing cycle in terms of what happens. By the way, George Washington, uh, John Adams, and even Thomas Jefferson were all born in a cycle uh, when uh, Pluto was inside Neptune's orbit. So it occurs every 20 years uh, in a 247-year Pluto cycle. By the way, when Jesus uh, came into the world, that also was happening during uh, a 20-year uh, cycle when Pluto was inside Neptune's orbit. Okay, now I call this part one, but I think I only did one part for various reasons. Okay, so I'm just going to read from the very beginning. Note, this is part one of may become a multi-part series depending on the world situation, the crisis in the Balkans. For information on specific charts of Yugoslavia, Croatia, and Slovenia, Mark Penfield wrote a few articles on these countries in 1991 in Welcome to Planet Earth. The present feature is an attempt to look at the big picture regarding the founding of Europe as a civilization and the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria-Hungary, the explosive spark that led to World War I and inherently World War II and the present Balkan War 1991-1993. Now let me just pause. Again, 28 years ago is when I, when I wrote this, and I have not read it again till now. Okay, so here we go. Years ago, I read a wonderful book by the late astrologer Barbara Waters. It was called Sex and the Outer Planets, a rather unusual title, but it was a true goldmine on mundane astrology, and it also contained a fascinating map, first created by Ralph Crom, for the crowning of Charlemagne as Holy Roman Emperor at noon on Christmas, Christmas Day 800 in Rome, Italy. Both Crom and Waters found this map to be the true birthing of European civilization. For the, first, for the past 15 years or so, I have studied this chart, researching historical events and comparing them to astrological alignments and planetary patterns. Now that the Bosnia-Serbia strife may be reaching a flash, flashpoint that could lead to a wider war, I thought it appropriate to share with you some ideas, symbols, and insights relative to the map of Europe and the following one for the assassination of the Archduke. Subtitle, The Achilles' Heel for Europe. In this report, I am not planning on analyzing the chart for Europe. Barbara Waters does an amazing job of doing that in her book. However, my, my research has shown that the moon's south node at five plus degrees of Cancer is a true weak spot for Europe. Traditionally, the north and south nodes of the moon have been considered astrological factors, strongly connected to destiny, fate, empowerment, or disempowerment. Generally speaking, the north node has been likened to Jupiter, benevolence, success, hope, the future gains, while the south node has been likened to Saturn, malevolence, failure, the past, losses. This was the ancient understanding. Modern astrologers see the lunar nodes more like an axis, where we create our dharma at the north node and reap our karma at the south node. Other astrologers like Dane Rudger have suggested that the north node is where we ingest or digest life, new experiences and opportunities, while the south node is where we have become proficient in other lifetimes, where we know that area extremely well and very intimately. However, Dane Rudder had also stated that with wisdom, we can truly create a positive destiny for ourselves through the right comprehension of the lunar south node. As we will see shortly, the south node of the moon, and sometimes the moon itself in Pisces in the 12th house, 
seems to be actively engaged by key planetary transits when the destiny of Europe is in the balance. Symbols of War, subtitle. Here's the other essential part of our astrological story. I feel there are symbolic events which precede the major wars. See this month's cover. Fundamentally, the sinking of the Titanic was the main symbol pointing toward the inevitability of World War I. The explosion of the dirigible Hindenburg and the Orson Welles broadcast of H.G. Wells' science fiction classic War of the Worlds were the twin symbols as precursors to World War II. The question is, will this year's World Trade Center bombing and the Waco apocalypse symbolize the coming infernos in the Balkans and perhaps a wider war that slowly but surely engulfs much of Europe and the Middle East over the next seven years? Now let's start linking up Europe's south node and, and moon to some of the symbols in the chart for the assassination of the Archduke, June 28, 1914. The sinking of the, of the Titanic, subtitle. The supposedly unsinkable Titanic left England on its maiden voyage on April 10th. Hold on a second. On April 10th, 1912. On the night of April 14th and 15th, just a couple of days later, it struck an iceberg and sank just a few hours later. Over 2,200 passengers and crew were on board, and over 1,500 people drowned in the catastrophe. There weren't nearly enough life lifeboats to save the people who perished. When the Titanic was launched, Mercury was retrograde. But as she sank on that terrible night, transiting Mars crossed five plus of Cancer, Europe's Achilles heel, the lunar south node. In addition, the transiting moon in late Pisces had just made its return to the 12th house in Europe's chart. By the way, let me add, Neptune now is exactly on the moon for European civilization. Back to the story. Although humanity didn't know it at the time, this was the major symbol of the coming disaster about to engulf all of Europe and much of the world. Here was the largest vessel in the world, a variable microcosm of humanity on board, supposedly unsinkable, and then four to five days after departure, a terrifying calamity. By the fall of 1912, just half a year later, the Balkans exploded and the Balkan War of 1912-1913 was on full tilt. Now Mars has about a two-year cycle around the zodiac. In February 1914, on February 12, 1914 to be precise, Mars made a station. Now, now let's go back here for a moment. Okay, on the night that the Titanic sank, Mars hit five plus of Cancer, which is the south node for Europe. So remember, that was a Mars event on the night of the Titanic on the south node of Europe. Back to the story. Mars has about a two-year cycle around the Zodiac. In February of 1914, on February 12, 1914, to be precise, Mars made a station. This time it was once again at five plus of cancer and right on Europe's vulnerable south node. For good measure, Saturn had just stationed the day before. Note, in this century there are only two other times when Mars and Saturn have stationed within 24 hours of each other. So, as war fever is heating up throughout Europe in February of 1914, Mars, the traditional planet of war, bloodshed, and strife, stations right on Europe's Achilles heel and reawakens the nightmare from two years before when the Titanic went down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with an enormous loss of life. But here is the clincher. As Gavrilo Princep, a young Bosnian Serb student only 19 years old, 
assassinates the heir to the Austro-Hungarian uh, throne, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. It is June 28, 1914, about 1049 Central European time in Sarajevo, Yugoslavia. Where is the sun? Transiting at five plus degrees of Cancer. Thus, the sun is crossing the previous station of Mars, representing war, the Mars placement at the sinking of, of the Titanic, and the south lunar node for Europe. This is the explosion that not only ignites World War I, the war actually began July 31, August 4, 1914, with various war declarations and fighting among the major countries of Germany, Russia, France, and Britain, but fundamentally World War II, since the issues of World War I were never really resolved from 1914 to 1918. And I have to pause here for one other second. I've started doing the research for where was the planet chaos during the assassination of the Archduke on June 28, 1914. And what I found was it was very close to Jupiter. Um, the position of Jupiter in the, the assassination of the Archduke is 21 of Aquarius going retrograde. Chaos, at that point, June 28, 1914, was at 19 of Aquarius. So they were within two degrees of each other, but because Jupiter was moving retrograde during all of July, as all the different countries were mobilizing, Austria, Hungary, Germany, Fr France, Britain, Italy, and so on, as they were mobilizing, leading to the explosion uh, at the end of July and beginning of August when, when hostilities began, it was during those four weeks that chaos and Jupiter made a conjunction in Aquarius, which is the universal sign of air and connections. And let's not forget, this is, I'm just talking now, this wasn't me 28 years ago, the devastating use of the airplane, which had just come into being uh, in December, December 18, 1903 with the Wright brothers. And that's an exact chart, which by the way, I just realized has 19 of Aquarius rising. I studied it even as a child before I ever got into astrology. I knew the time of the eight seconds or whatever the short flight. Now there is dispute about the Wright brothers, were they the first people, the first powered air flight or not. It's an exact chart. And by the way, the day after the Wright brothers first powered air flight, there was an exact new moon uh, at the galactic center in late Sagittarius and the sun, moon and Uranus exactly were in a triple conjunction at that new moon. So aviation and uh, is definitely connected to Uranus. And at that time period in Kitty Hawk or Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, the horizon is 19 of Aquarius. And that's exactly where the planet chaos was uh, when the Archduke was assassinated and during the month of July. So chaos, while it may be not even a solid planet, it's the first of these outer planets of the list I gave you to be discovered November 19th. Um, and again, this year, there's going to be an eclipse on November 19th. It was discovered November 19th, 1998. And by the way, as I said earlier, I was doing a magazine in November of 1998. I didn't know chaos was being discovered. And that magazine was about the dawning of the age of Aquarius, it takes 90 plus years. And in that magazine, was where I was writing about the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that just happened. So, so again, you see a, a synchronicity here. This is all going on. That's part of the reason this is a kind of uh, exciting subject, uh, even though we don't know all the things about what, what chaos is and, and all of these planets. Okay, back to the storyline. Um, 
Let's see. Therefore, the chart for the moment of the assassination of the Archduke is an extremely important one to watch regarding any future Balkan conflict and potential world war. It is noteworthy that the asteroid Juno was only one degree away from the sun uh, as the assassination occurred. Astrologer Eleanor Bach has identified Juno in its negative expression with acts of terrorism and violence originating out of disempowerment. By 1918, transiting Pluto, death, rebirth, crisscrossed over the, uh, the five-plus cancer uh, placement, effectively ending World War I. Another odd fact is that June 28, 1914, was the 14th wedding anniversary of the Archduke and his wife, Sophie. She died with him in the assassination. June 28 was also the day of St. Vitus, patron saint of Serbia. In 1389, apparently on that day, a Serbian army was defeated by the Turks during the Battle of Kosovo Field. Princep, Gavrila Princep, the, uh, the 19-year-old who assassinated uh, the Archduke, was a member of a youth, youthful assassination team planning the event for that day to coincide with the June 28th holidays and commemorations. Progressions for Europe, subtitle. Checking progressions for Europe during World War I and World War II is also amazing. During the World War I years, 1914 to 1918, both progressed Saturn and Neptune were stationary retrogrades for Europe. In fact, Saturn's station at 8 plus Libra exactly squared Europe's 10th house sun at 8 plus a Capricorn. In addition, as the assassination occurred, the true first shot of the Great War, Europe's progressed sun reached 26 degrees and 32 minutes of Capricorn. It was now precisely no orb squaring Europe's natal Uranus, Shock surprises upheavals. I got to stop right here again because I wrote this 28 years ago, and right now this is where Pluto is. Pluto is at 26 of Capricorn, so Pluto is now contacting the the progressed Sun from when I wrote this story and back with the Great War at that particular time. So this is pretty amazing. Okay, back to the storyline. Uh, during World War II, we find Europe's progressed Mercury, Jupiter, and Uranus all making stations. Stations in progress maps are relatively rare, and combined stations over just a few years are even rarer. It is significant that the progressed moon for Europe at the beginning of World War II, September of 1939, was 16 Scorpio. Now in 1993, the progressed moon for Europe is back in Scorpio. It takes the moon 27 years to progress around the zodiac. It is now 54 years since the breakout of World War II. In the spring of 1994, Europe's progressed moon will return to where it was in mid-Scorpio when Adolf Hitler started World War II with a lightning blitzkrieg uh, attack against Poland on September 1, 1939. One final point. Every 360 years, Europe's progressed sun crosses the ascendant for Europe at 14 plus degrees of Aries. This has just occurred in 1992 after the breakup of Yugoslavia in 1991 and the beginning of a renewed Balkan War and conflict. This also reminds you that Mars, the culprit triggering the conflicts at five plus degrees of cancer, is Europe's ruling body as it is the basic ruler of Aries. Elements, water, air, and fire. Let's bring forth another element to our discussion. It seems to me that the sinking of the Titanic related to the water principle. Europe and much of the world was about to be submerged in the chaos, Neptune, of age-old hatreds and rivalries. The submarine, also representing Neptune, was the new oceanic killer on the high seas, and mustard gas, also Neptune, was about to poison Neptune, thousands upon thousands of soldiers and civilians. The symbol, hold on, uh, the symbols preceding World War II, the Hindenburg explosion and the War of the Worlds broadcast, both signified the air principle. 
The Hindenburg had already made several transatlantic crossings by air when it exploded in Lakehurst, New Jersey on the evening of May 6, 1937. The War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater, quote-unquote, company of players on Sunday night, October 30, 1938, suggested the arrival of Martians, soldiers, Gestapo, stormtroopers, etc., from outer space, terrifying humanity. Now in early 1993, we have the World Trade Center bombing, and the Waco apocalypse with their fiery vibrations. Are these two latter symbols suggesting that the fire element is about to be unleashed in ways never before experienced and imagined by humanity? Let's hope not. Note, it is fascinating to realize that the destruction of the Hindenburg occurred also during a retrograde Mercury cycle, similar to the tragedy of the Titanic. And the transiting moon was once again exactly returning in Europe's chart in late Pisces in the 12th house. And just over one week before, the Spanish town of Guernica had been annihilated by the Nazi Luftwaffe as a demonstration of German air power and superiority. Within 48 hours of that horrendous event, immortalized by the great painter Pablo Picasso, Saddam Hussein was born in Iraq. Mars was also retrograde at the Hindenburg explosion, having just stationed the month before at 5 plus degrees of Sagittarius, exactly 150 degrees to Europe's south node. When the War of the Worlds broadcast created havoc in America, Hitler had already gobbled up Austria and Czechoslovakia, and Neville Chamberlain, Britain's prime minister, had just returned from his Munich meetings with the German leader declaring, with a piece of paper and Hitler's signature, that he had obtained, quote, peace in our time, unquote. Subtitle, History Repeating Itself. In concluding our topic for this month, it is appropriate to note that the planetary patterns at the beginning of 1993 are very similar to the ones at the start of 1914. Stations of Mars and Cancer do not happen all that frequently. While there were stations of Mars and Cancer in November 1928 and November 1960, those stations did not continue into February. The two February stations of Mars and Cancer early in the sign occurred in 1914 and 1993. Thus, when we reach late June of 1993, the Sun will be transiting a stationary Mars placement just as it did in 1914. And this combination of Sun-Mars station early cancer placement will repeat the assassination pattern of June 28, 1914 within a three-degree orb. Ironically, Mars will return in late June 1993 to early Virgo, where it was on June 28, 1914. That early Virgo area is where Saturn, limits, fears, boundaries, border disputes, old karma is located for Europe. We also find Mercury making a station on July 1, 1993 at 28 plus Cancer, exactly where it was placed with Neptune at the assassination of June 28, 1914. So while we wish the situation were different, there is a definite astrological synchronicity between 1914 and 1993, and more precisely, late June 1914 and late June 1993. Hopefully humanity will have learned enough in the last 79 years to prevent a new outbreak of this world war insanity which has made the 20th century into a nightmarish burial ground for tens of millions of soldiers and innocent civilians. It is important to realize that revolutionary Uranus will return to its placement for the outbreak of the Balkan War of October 1912 throughout 1995. By 1998, after a full tour of 84 years around the Zodiac since 1914 and the assassination of Sarajevo, Uranus will be back at 11 degrees of Aquarius, where it was on June 24th, 1914. By the way, let me stop. That's where Saturn is going now in 2021, and Uranus is squaring that position. So this year's Saturn square Uranus 
affecting the whole world is triggering where Uranus was in 1914 and in 1998. Okay, back to the final end of the story. Right now, after 79 years, the world is back to where it was in 1914. Sarajevo, Bosnia, Serbia, tolerance of aggression and dictators, weak-willed Western leaders. No, Woodrow Wilson, the U.S. leader during World War I, was born with his son at aid of Capricorn, exactly conjoined Europe's son. Apparently, according to Mark Penfield's chart for Wilson, he was born with early Libra rising, similar to President Clinton. President Clinton's natal midhaven, worldly focus and image is five plus of cancer, Europe's Achilles heel and lunar south node. There is also the USA Jupiter placement from July 4th, 1776, which is right at five plus of cancer. Perhaps part of the reason we're about to become involved in bombing raids in the former regions of Yugoslavia. And just as Europe came into being with a Mars-Neptune-wide conjunction in Libra setting, President Clinton has an exact Mars-Neptune conjunction in Libra rising. Stay tuned to Welcome to Planet Earth magazine in the next few months for more of this incredible story. So goes what I wrote 28 years ago with my additional comments from this time. So let's just see where we're at. I'm going to end because uh, I don't want this to go over three hours. I thought we'd do this in two. And we're at two hours and 39 minutes. This is your introduction to uh, transiting Neptune, the real planet chaos, and these outer planets. Okay, I think there are 10 of them that I'm listing. So um, you've got these charts that you can look at in the folders that the folder that's only available for podcast 82 at greatbearenterprises.com in our Mark Learner Astrology uh, radio astroscope section. Now, again, the podcasts are on Apple, Spotify, and other places, but you really want to go to our website in order to get the real deal and see all of these amazing charts and be able to then think about them or if you have your own software, reproduce them and, and start possibly putting these other planets in. Um, at some point, I will give out, if possible, if, a, if I'm permitted to do so, I would have to contact uh, the, the woman who has a lot of, well, there's, there's actually a website, and I don't remember the exact name, where I can find the listings of all these, and maybe some of you know about that. One other little thing. I mentioned Vesta as an asteroid has a lot to do with safety and security and diplomacy. I did a whole cover story, um, the Vesta Covenant, because Vesta, when negative, has a lot to do with what happened in Nazi Germany with book burnings and the torchlight parades with Nuremberg and the crematoriums and so many devious, horrific things. And the United States uh, Vesta and Adolf Hitler's Vesta at the same place and this is why I did a whole thing called the Vesta Covenant. And one of the podcasts um, gives that out, as well as the cover story about that. I watch these asteroids a whole lot. I've shared a lot in podcasts about them. Eleanor Bach, again, my main female teacher, uh, who, who brought us the four main asteroids. So um, Vesta opposed Neptune December 20th in the sky. And that was within of 2020. That was the day before the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction Aquarius. So that chart, the Jupiter-Saturn chart that's starting off this wave of 180 years of Jupiter-Saturn, the biggest planets in, in air signs rather than water signs, which is which I think is producing so much connected to the cryptocurrency bubble, wherever it's going to go, as well as the problems with pandemics, uh, because Aquarius is the universal air sign. So Vesta, which has a lot to do with the challenges with safety and security and land. And um, in fact, according to uh, 
Eleanor Bach has a lot to do with embassies and diplomacy and things like that. The whole issue of Adolf Hitler wanting living space and gobbling up all these different countries is a Vesta phenomenon. And again, the, the torches and the burning of books um, and the crematoriums, they're all part of a negative Vesta energy. Vesta was unbelievably powerful in the chart for the Third Reich that began on January 30th of 1933. I've already started seeing the power of chaos in that particular chart. Maybe I'll share that another time. So chaos, that planet was very powerful when the Third Reich began and that officially led to Adolf Hitler becoming chancellor of Germany at that point and then eventually becoming dictator shortly thereafter. So we had Vesta opposite Neptune in the sky on December 20th. That repeated on February 9th. But just before our birthday, the solar return coming up for July 4th for the United States, that chart, which I will potentially sh share uh, global hotspot on uh, Great Bear Enterprise in their future and or in the series, we're going to have Vesta opposing, our Nept uh, Vesta opposing Neptune um, on July 2nd. Now that's for the whole planet. So you see Vesta and Neptune for the third time will be making an opposition, just like Saturn and Uranus this year is, are, is the chief major planet clash uh, from Aquarius where Saturn is to Taurus where Uranus is. And this is a major thing affecting all of us. Again, the next one is June 14th and the last one of Saturn and Uranus will be uh, December 23rd, 24th. So too are we dealing with Vesta opposing Neptune and for the third time that's gonna happen on July 2nd. And, and the real worrisome thing here is that um, Vesta is going to be at 23 of Virgo, uh, oppo uh, uh, going opposite Neptune at 23 Pisces. So that means that while Neptune is going, is squaring our Mars for the United States, while Neptune is opposing our Neptune and Chaos from July 4th, 70, 1776, at this third wave of Vesta oppo opposing Neptune, Vesta is going to be on top of our natal um, chaos and Neptune, 23 of Virgo. So um, that is another issue. And Vesta was the planet that was stationary exactly within one sixtieth of one degree the day before Joe Biden took the oath of office. And I mentioned that in uh, the, a podcast around that time. And when I was focused on the insurrection and did the chart for the inauguration, that one of the big things aside from the uh, void moon at the Biden-Harris administration, at 30 of Aries and Mars conjunct Uranus and some other dangerous alignments happening uh, with the start of the Biden-Harris four-year term was that Vesta would be exactly squaring our Mars. And now we've seen so many of these issues, these these explosions between Israel and Gaza, the issue with the, uh, the Russians with over 100,000 troops uh, on a border with Ukraine and possibilities of the there. We've got the Chinese um, issues with Taiwan. We've got the ongoing Saudi Arabia battle against Yemen that's still happening. The Security Council um, is not going to be able to necessarily force Israel to stop doing what it's doing. Um, and then we've got Kim Jong-un, we've got North Korea, and we've got so many other hotspots, including things like I said earlier, that the World Health Organization is saying this year is going to be worse with the pandemic than last year. Well, how could it be saying that? Be saying that because of what's happening in places like India, what's happening in Brazil. Um, they just shut down a meeting in Singapore of, of an important kind of event. I think it's a business council because there's a, an upsurge in Singapore, a very small area. We have these problems, even in those areas, particularly in Asia, where they're used to wearing masks and they do a lot of testing, places like Taiwan, 
Korea, there's still issues of whether the Japanese Olympic or the, the world, uh, excuse me, the Summer Olympics that were delayed from last year, they're supposed to start in what, two months in Tokyo, whether that's going to happen. And if it does happen, what is that going to lead to? Because while in the United States, we're relaxing so many different things, and we don't know if that's the wise thing to do or not because of variants and because of young children being unvaccinated and having these rules and, and is, issues that are not actually legal things from the CDC. They're only recommendations. So many people in the United States um, are not going to be vaccinated. We have the whole anti-vax movement anyway because of beliefs about autism or mercury in vaccines and other things. That's been around for decades and other reasons why people don't want to get vaccinated. In fact, that these vaccines are still for emergency use. They, uh, they're not approved yet by the FDA. Um, and so there are all these question marks. And I read recently that in the military, at least 40% of the American military are not getting in. You can't have generals forcing uh, soldiers and sailors and air, air people in the Air Corps and so on, the Marines, to get vaccines when it's, it's still emergency use only. So there's a lot of question marks and a lot of things that are unknown. As I'm saying, and as I'm ending here, the, the, the connection of chaos to all of this leading the discoveries of all these other planets out there, the, the, the group of 11, I guess it is, that I've mentioned, there are other ones out there. So these are not the only ones, and there are these other centaur bodies and asteroids. But what I'm looking at is that chaos was the first of these, of the outer ones, and has a relationship to them, as Uranus does to all of the discoveries. So Uranus, and we'll get into that chart again, is so phenomenal in terms of certain things. I'll just give you a hint that when the United States was born on July 4th, 1776, we didn't know Pallas Athena. We didn't know where it was. But once it was discovered, and, and then when Eleanor Bach brought it to our attention in 1973, we put it in a U.S. chart, we see that Pallas Athena is conjunct the United States moon at 26 plus of Aquarius. Well, lo and behold, on March 13, 1781, which is um, four plus years after July 4th, 1776, when Uranus is discovered, and then we do the discovery chart of Uranus, Pallas Athena is exactly, exactly back at 26 of Aquarius, the same place it had on July 4th, 1776, with the Declaration of Independence, when Uranus discovered, what are the odds that Pallas Athena, not just in Aquarius again, not approximately back to where it was with the U.S. birth chart, exactly at the same degree. The other thing that's remarkable about March 13, 1781, discovery of Uranus, I said earlier, the Uranus degree itself is 24 Gemini. By the way, the Uranus degree at in the discovery of Uranus was opposing Mars in, in uh, Sagittarius, and the Sun was at the fulcrum in what we call a T-square at 24 of Pisces, or 23 plus of Pisces. By the way, that is where Neptune is transiting now. Okay, so now and next year. So in addition to Neptune going opposite its own position for the United States, Neptune, and opposite our chaos and squaring our Mars as a country, we're also having Neptune cross over the Sun of the Uranus discovery chart and re-triggering the Uranus-Mars opposition and square to the Sun in the Uranus discovery chart. And so the final point there is Chiron was at, um, when we discovered Chiron, the wounded healer, alternative ho uh, ho uh, holistic healing and um, shamans and mentors and rainbow bridges and deja vu and so many other kinds of things, as well as what I call twilight zones of strange time, um, 
and as Zane Stein said, that we have chirological time, kind of a fifth dimension. I've already shared before that Rod Serling lived a Chiron cycle. When he came in and he created the Twilight Zone, he was born when Chiron came back to the natal Chiron for the United States. He lived 50 years, which is a Chiron cycle. And when Chiron came back, he died and Chiron was coming back in the U.S. chart. You can't make this up. So the guy who created the Twilight Zone is a Chiron uh, phenom and Chiron definitely relates to being outside of chronological time, being in another dimension of time. That's why Chiron has a lot to do with spirituality, shamans, mentors, um, holistic healing, and all kinds of other things, including working with Tarot and numerology and astrology in many ways is connected to Chiron. So um, it turns out that on November 1, 1977, Chiron is discovered, it's discovered at three plus degrees of Taurus. Well, guess where Chiron was undiscovered when, when Uranus came into the world on March 13, 1781, you look at that, that chart for the discovery of Uranus, and Chiron is sitting at three plus a Taurus. So Chiron's discovery point was actually there on March 13, 1781, but we hadn't discovered it till November 1, 1977, and then it returns to where it was when Uranus was discovered. The point in all this is these discovery charts of all these planets have, have secret treasures, okay? And we need to study them a lot more. So to understand Sedna, it's not just the goddess energy from Inuit um, mythology. It's what's in the chart. What are the positions? Where's Sedna? Um, I'll be sharing about something like Sedna is very powerful now. It's been in opposition of uh, this whole year to Joe Biden's Sun-Venus conjunction. It's going to stay opposite his Sun-Venus conjunction. And then next January, we're going to have this extraordinary series, uh, North Node of the Moon, Sedna, Triple Conjunction. And I'm studying that now. I'll report about that another time. That's in the area of the Pleiades, which is where Sedna has been moving, late Taurus. And we all know that the Pleiades, as well as the Great Bear series in the Pleiades, is part of a whole spiritual uh, triangle of heavenly energies. And there's so much from ancient aliens and about uh, UFOs, ETs, uh, different beings from the Pleiades, as well as from Sirius and ancient Egypt and, and so on, and energies from the seven stars of the Great Bear. Of course, my business is related to the Great Bear and the seven stars, and I've shared more about the history of Great Bear Enterprise and how that came about from um, the great book, The, the Ancient Wisdom, um, which I read when I was at Fintorn and at that particular community. So um, I've shared more about that another time. So we've got Pallas Athena, we've got Chiron, all connected in extraordinary ways to the discovery of Uranus chart, March 13, 1781. So I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've learned a lot. I just want to say I, I am hopeful that we avoid war. I know that there are these hot spots. We're in these challenging cycles with the shadow side very much of Neptune and some of these other planets. But we can work together, particularly working with the Cosmic Calendar. And if you subscribe to it for a very not very much money to go ahead a week at a time, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you're going to learn so much more about what are the opportunities, not just the challenges that are coming up. Positive alignments, moon trine Venus, moon conjunct Venus, moon conjunct Jupiter, moon conjunct Mercury, all the positive lunar energies we give every single one, moon with Chiron, moon with uh, Pallas Athena, all the lunar conjunctions, the trines, the sextiles of 60 degrees, these are all being included, sun-moon trines, uh, moon trine to Jupiter, or sextiles of different planets, and not just, of course, the, the moon and the sun, but interplanetary lines, Venus and Mars, whether they're in a conjunction or they're trine, 
for love and relationship or business relationships uh, regarding Saturn or Jupiter and so many other planets. So being able to look ahead in the cosmic calendar, which are the sky cycles, allow you to get back into as above, so below, not just for your own chart, for your own transits or your own progressions, but what's happening in the outside world affecting all of humanity, your community, your neighborhood, your state, the nation, the world. That's what the cosmic calendar is all about. So definitely get yourself astrology, cosmic calendar. If you don't have it free one day at a time or consider subscribing so you can look into the future and that will help you to become a more successful astrologer for yourself and for your friends and other people in the future. Okay, so thank you very much again for listening. Many blessings will be on to part two at some point in the near future. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.